Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Tons of college football for you. We are going into a huge week. The Utes need the bounce back win against San Diego State. They need to get to 2-1. A loss would be an enormous red flag. The Cougars, chance to go 3-0. Chance to beat a ranked Arizona State team at home. And at that point, BYU will be favored in a long string of games, possibly every game the rest of the season, and a chance to put together a very good season. But can they avoid the emotional hangover? You win a big game. Are you going to be ready to answer the bell for the next one against Arizona State? That question is going to loom all week until we see how BYU starts the game against Arizona State. All right, we're going to get to the Cougars in a second. We're going to start with the Utes. We're going to start with Britton Covey. Talking with PK about needing leadership, about needing strong leaders to make sure that they get on track and play these next couple of games the right way. Beat San Diego State and then into the conference opener with Washington State. I'm taking them two at a time. The youths are taking them one at a time. Here is PK with Britton Covey. It's so easy to be a leader when things are going great. I don't even know if that is leadership because everybody's kind of leading themselves in that point. So when things are going really hard and things are rough that leadership is really important. So I've talked with some of the leaders about this. The most important thing that we can do is, um, in my opinion, is take ownership of what you control. It's so easy to put the blame on other things. You know, I'm sure like uh, players want to put the blame on coaches. Coaches want to put the blame on players. I mean, if you go on social media, you'll see people calling for Coach Witt's job and and things like that. And it's just so easy to get wrapped up in whose fault it is and things and and it's all about just taking ownership um because that gives that i don't know it brings a sense of freedom to you it's like i control this i don't control a lot of what's outside of me right circle of influence circle of control uh so for me right now it's talking to the position group leaders and saying you need to talk to your position group to take ownership um because you know i'm not going to have the biggest effect on the linebacker group but devin lloyd will i'm not going to have the biggest effect effect on the DBs, but uh, Vontae Davis will. So I'm going to talk to them and say, let's get together as your groups and take ownership of this. And like I said, somber today, really somber in the facility. You know, we got humbled, um, which I think is good. But man, you don't want that to last for more than a day, in my opinion. I, I just don't think that that's good for a team. You got to get your swagger back. You got to be happy. You got to come to work, you know, excited. And, and so I think that's what I'm going to try and do. <clears throat> Can you relate it to 2019? It was it was a conference game, but mm-hmm. it was still early in the year. You lost that first game, and there was a lot of frustration in the post-game interviews and doing when we were doing all that. And Coach Whittingham said, "Well, everything is still in front of us. We can win the next game, the next eight games." And you did. Yeah. Well, it, anyone that says that you won't lose in life is just lying. You're going to lose. It's not a matter of you know if, but it's when. And it's all about just you know it, it's so. Um, What's the word? Cliche. It's so cliche, but it all, it's all about how you respond, especially a loss early in the season. A loss in midseason, I don't think is as disappointed as, as a loss early in the season because you go into the season not thinking you're going to lose a single game, right? Such high expectations. You lose one early to your rival, and it's just devastating. But then you realize that doesn't affect a single thing in our conference play. Our goal is still to win the Pac-12 championship, go to the Rose Bowl, things like that. And... That's where the leadership comes in, I think. It's very similar to 2019. You saw what that team did, right? Mm -hmm. So 
It's so easy as a fan. I mean, I know this because I'm a jazz fan, right? It's so easy to overreact to certain <laughs> things in certain games. Um, but you got to simplify things and say, okay, where can we improve? Um, you, you watch the film and there were certain things where it's just so obvious that okay, that's why it didn't work. It was just one thing. And mm -hmm. so simplifying things i think that 2019 cast had a great group of leaders but do you make sure though that you tr don't try to do too much like in your case you know if the offense is sputtering on saturday and you get a punt but it doesn't set up for a good return you got to make sure that you're still doing the right thing yes absolutely and it's hard to i think sometimes you want to you know i want to take every punt yeah, and not yeah, call yeah. fair catches yeah. and things like that but that's where it goes back to okay you have to trust people who do things that aren't your your position, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's all about taking ownership of your job and trusting the guys in their job. And it's hard to do that. It's kind of like delegating, right? It's really hard to delegate certain things, but it's at the end of the day, the best leaders do that. You talked about being somber, and to a certain degree, that's healthy, right. but you can't be somber too long. How would you evaluate the duration of the somberness now, and now you still right. got, uh, you know, you got to get, get past it? Right. Well, I was telling Jeff, um, Everybody, you know the saying that everybody grieves differently or mourns differently. I think that's true, but for the sake of respecting a lot of the competitors in the building, I think that we make it a rule that everybody has to come in and have that demeanor. Because if I come in and I see two players joking around, I freak out at them. You know, I got mad at a couple younger guys today because they were joking around before the lift. Um, just as a thing of respect to the competitors in the room that it still just hurts, you know. Uh, but man, you do not want that to carry over, especially early in the season. You can't have that carry over. That's why I said you can't overreact. You can't have that carry over. I'm going to come in tomorrow and be goofy Brit. I'm going to be excited. I'm going to go in, get in a fight during practice. You know, I don't know <laughs> what I'm going to do, but it just, you got to come in and, because we had swagger and you lose it for a weekend, but man, you bring it back and that's up to you. It's, you know, don't rely on someone else to bring it back. Is that swagger easily lost and is it easily to get back? How does that work? It's easily lost, it's difficult to get back, I think, just realistically. Uh, that's why you need multiple people to do it. And uh, you need your, your leaders to do it. You need Devin Lloyd to come out with that swagger. You need to have a bounce back game where you bring that swagger back. I mean, you see it, I think, every week in college football where <laughs> if we have a great game this weekend, you know, next week, it's just like that comes back. You, you know, it's all about... Yeah, like Stanford did. Uh, yeah, like Stanford. Think of Stanford after last game. I'm sure all their fans were calling for Coach Shaw to be fired or whatever. Like yeah, that. That's yeah. just the reality of sports nowadays. Uh, but now my best friend Gabe plays for Stanford, and everybody's like, this is our year, right? So that's just kind of how it is. And yeah. you got to roll with the punches, never too high, never too low, and know where your value lies. Know that this team is good. Bring that swagger. and yeah. Did, you, did you hear that Clay Helton got fired? I did hear that. Like maybe I, that opens it up even more in the South. Anybody's yeah, game? Well, I mean, that was surprising. I didn't even know that would that could happen that early in the season. I talked to Clay at Pac-12 Media Day. He's a great guy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I have no idea what impact that would would have on a team. You know, if Coach Witt got fired, that would be a big thing. You know, so early on. So, you know feel for him that's tough there is pk with Britton covey when we come back we will hear from the cougars james empey on the way the offensive line looking really good stay with us it's game week for the cougars 
And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. After their emotional win against the Utes, BYU welcomes in another Pac-12 opponent as Arizona State rolls into Lavelle Edwards Stadium this Saturday. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 6 with a postgame show immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to hear from the BYU Cougars coming off the big win over Utah. Can they back it up? Can they beat ASU? Kalani's been talking about the depth, about having enough bodies to handle this kind of schedule, the third straight game against the Pac-12 South, beating Arizona. I'm sure it's kind of old hat. The 3-0 now under Kalani against the Wildcats. But beating the Utes, breaking that streak after going nine straight games without beating the Utes, that's a big deal. Now here come the Sun Devils, who they haven't seen in seen since the 90s. I haven't seen them since Kalani was playing. Here is James Empey after the BYU offensive line turned in a strong performance against the University of Utah. James, what was it like to be able to go watch the film from that game and see what your boys did against a very strong Utah defense? Uh, looking at the film, it was, you know, it was fun that winning that game was, you know, a blast and checking out the film. There, there's a lot we can improve on, um, like there, there always will be. But, you know, I'm proud of the way the guys played and how, uh, you know, we, we were just able to get it done when it mattered most. And, and so, yeah, really proud of the guys. Thought we took a big step and, uh, you know, had a great time on Saturday. How much pride is it for you when, you know, you guys need a, need points and the offensive line rose to the challenge. You ran the ball a lot on that series and just drove the team down and, you know, kind of forced it down their throats. Yeah, that, that was a really fun drive. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, everybody on that, the offense and, and the defense made plays when, when we needed them most and, and were able to, you know, buckle down and, and uh, make it happen in, in crunch time, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm proud of the way the guys uh, all were able to step up and, you know, watching watching the film and, and watching, you know, the just the offense play and how hard the running backs are running and, and the decisions Jan was making and, you know, the plays the receivers were making. I'm just really proud of how he came out. And, you know, I, like, I think it's a huge step for us as an offense um, this year. And, and uh, hopefully we can, you know, build on it going forward. Hey, Jake, and then Pat. James, uh, are you at this point, maybe you can't answer this question specifically, are you anticipating at this point that you will have a rotation at right guard next to you between Connor and Joe? I, I don't know. Uh, I thought both those guys played good when they were in there. They're both, you know, um, stepping up to the plate and, and to the challenge. And, you know, I'm proud of both of them and, and how they're playing. Um I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not the rotation master. I don't, I don't make those calls. We'll leave that up to coach funk and uh, he's been doing a great job with it. And so, you know, I know everybody's going to be prepared to play and, you know, not just the guys that have been playing, but also everybody else, you know, as, as we prepare and practice and get ready. So um, confident in our group, I, like I, like I was saying, I was proud of how everybody played and, and uh, looking forward to continuing to get better and, and use this as a, as a stepping stone. Just looking at some of the grades after that game from Pro Football Focus, and Blake Freeland for the second straight week was 
graded quite highly as an offensive lineman from that game. This guy didn't play offensive line before getting to BYU. You can just talk a little bit about how he has developed during his time there in Provo. Yeah, so the last few years, Blake Blake's developed a ton. I mean, like you like you mentioned, he he played a little bit of quarterback in high school, a little bit of DN in high school. You know, not not necessarily in the O line, but he's got that O line body. He's got the height. He's got the long arms, and and so you know, he was able to move into that role. Um, as as time's gone on, you know, he's he's extremely athletic, so it's it was kind of easy for him to pick up the basics and just to see him improve day to day. You know, he's really bought into it and and uh, you know has a great feel for the game, and I, I think you know the sky's the limit for that guy. Hey, uh, thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Um, BYU obviously will be leading the uh, Pac-12 uh, standings right now. You'd be tied at least. Uh, I guess what's it like uh, playing so many Pac-12 teams in a row? Oh, well, just just the I mean, Arizona is a, a good team. Utah's a good team. Um, being able to play um, that that caliber of team early is is great for us. You know, it's we get a, a ton of learning, a ton of great competition, you know, chances to improve and grow. And, and in moments like this, you know, check out the film and, and see what you can do better to prepare for the next one. And, you know, looking looking forward or we're excited for this challenge. You know, ASU's, you know, they, they've got a ton of talent. They play really hard and they're, they're a physical team. And so, you know, we're excited to just, you know, uh, step up to the plate for the next challenge and, and hopefully keep this thing rolling. All right, last two questions, Jake and then Sean. Yeah, James, um, zero sacks from the Utah defense, no no hurries really. The only time we were seeing Jaron Hall on the ground was when he was running down the field, lowering the shoulder into defenders. Um, what was your conversation like with Jaron after the game? How did you guys you know, feel about that that performance and your ability to keep him safe in the pocket? Yeah, well, I was I was proud of that. Like I was saying, I was proud of how everybody played. I thought, you know, the the Utah defense they're they're always really good. They played good Saturday night, and um, you know they're they're definitely a challenge. And I was I was proud of how we you know stepped up to the plate and 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 played. Um, it, it was I didn't know we had you know you just kind of play. I, I don't really know the stats till after the game, you know, and and we ended up having zero sacks, and you know that's just a tribute to the guys playing their butts off and the coaches preparing us and and Jaron, um, you know, kind of getting getting out of trouble with his feet a little bit you know so love love having him back there i thought he had a great game and uh just excited to keep keep going james i don't need to explain to you why the rivalry game is a little bit different the emotions are heightened and even coming down from it is a little bit heightened coach clown you talked a little bit about that too kind of coming down on sunday when you guys come off of that rivalry high though and look ahead to a ranked team, a top 20 team on the schedule. Does that catch your attention a little bit more to where you can maybe point to the younger guys and say, Hey, refocus, like this team's just as good. Let's go. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, so far just seeing some of the guys here this morning, we haven't had our, our meetings yet or anything. Um, that's, that's later this afternoon. Um, we'll hear in a little bit actually, but uh, just, just talking to the guys, I think, um, you know, it, Saturday was so much fun, but you know that winning that game isn't our end goal. You know we have we have ten more games to to battle, especially this one this week. And you know I think guys are guys are um, already turning their focus towards ASU and and um, looking forward to that game. And so yeah, super super excited about it. They're you know they've been good on film so far. Going to be a great challenge, and you know we're excited to to get rolling this week and and uh, start working our butts off.
There is James Empey. Now here is Ed Lamb. Good evening, Coach. Um, <clears throat> just kind of curious as to, um, you know, how, how much of Arizona State have you kind of looked at from a defensive perspective and, and what challenges do they present in your, in your estimation? Um, we, our entire defensive staff has looked at every game they played this year and last year. And then we went back, um, the offensive coordinator has a history at Boise state. And so we actually have, um, experience there facing some of his philosophies. Things change for everybody over the course of a season, uh, much less a couple of years, but there are some consistencies. Um, the things that schematically give us issues are the number of formations and shifts and, and motions. And um, there's a lot of uh, there's a good balance between vertical play and horizontal play by the offense. They attack you both ways. And um, and, then, and then from a personnel standpoint, Arizona State has a lot of speed, a lot of a dynamic ability. That all starts with the, the backfield, their quarterback and their running back. And, and they've got good players, uh, you know, at, really at every position. It's a major challenge for us. Okay, let's go, Jared and then Sean. Hey, Ed. I wanted to kind of talk philosophically about the defense because it seems like you and, you know, the staff has been building up to a point where you can be a little bit more aggressive. What's made the difference that has allowed you to, to kind of call more blitzes and, and be more aggressive uh, up front? Yeah, the, the recruitment and development of man-to-man -man players um, in, the, in the secondary, that's the, you know, that's if, if you're going to be aggressive there's just really not a way to be aggressive with uh, zone defenses if, if aggression is blitz and and sometimes you know as coaches we, we, we have to consider you know how we want to be aggressive you know flooding the backfield is one way to be aggressive flooding the defensive backfield is another way to be aggressive against the forward pass and there's been times we had to do that but right now we feel like we're at a really good place with our corners and their ability to match up man-to-man -man, safeties as well um, linebackers that can bring pressure and defensive line that are stout and, and uh, are getting better and better. Some of those young guys and their pass rushing abilities. So I think it's, you know, a good, a good coach, probably in any sport, I would imagine just does what their players can do best. How much fun is it to be able to have those options this year? Because you guys have, have dialed up a lot of blitzes. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, yeah, that, that I know players like to be, you know, challenged uh, to, to play as much one-on-one um, -on -one as they can, to be as aggressive as they can, to create as much havoc as they can. And so it's fun to be able to put them in systems where, um, you know, where you feel like you're, 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 we're giving them, we're showing them that we have confidence in their ability to win one-on-one -on -one matchups. Uh, Coach, that was actually almost exactly the question I was going to ask you as well was about that pressure because I, I think it was Peyton the other day or it might have been so one of the two was talking about how pressure in a lot of ways we see it in the front seven um, but it starts in the back so much of it starts in the backfield is, is that just kind of you think what they were talking about with with pressure really starting in the backfield was being able to contain the backfield in man-to-man -man coverage or, or can there maybe even be a little bit more where the defensive backfield kind of gets involved in, in pressure, whether that's sacks and tackles for loss or even just, you know, passing game pressure like you were talking about. Yeah, it's, it certainly can be. Um, it, just, it just becomes a question of, again, what can the players do? And so how many guys on the field are capable of covering? You know, it's always kind of 
as, as a coach, sometimes we, you get questions, maybe just hanging out at the grocery store or hanging out at a family reunion and, Hey, why don't you double cover so-and-so? And then it's like, eh, well, if we double cover that guy, then who do we not cover? You know? And well, if we, if we bring the, all these secondary guys in the blitzes, then who has to cover these uh, talented wide receivers out there on the edge? So it's really just a matter of taking a look at the, you know, 15, 16, 17 guys that come through the rotation and, and are, you know, that we consider our best, our best group of players and then, and then doing as much as we possibly can with them, being as aggressive as we possibly can. And I think, you know, I think, I think Coach Tuiaki has been doing that really for six years. And, and what you're seeing here is all, it's all about players. It's player-centric. There's not, there's not a pressure, there's not a blitz that we've run in the last two weeks that hasn't been in our playbook since day one when we got together six years ago. All right, Mitch and then Shep. Coach, we, we hear the, uh, the phrase, you know, you improve the most from week one to week two. Now that the first two weeks are in the books, where did the defense and special teams, for that matter, maybe improve the most from that week one to week two from your film study? Well, I, I, um, it was good to get Jake Oldroyd back in, in the kicking game. You know, Justin Smith stepped in and did a nice job there um, against Arizona. But, uh, you know, Jake, from the kickoff standpoint, was able to give us a little bit more hang time and distance, and and uh, so we're able to go down and and uh, cover kicks a little bit better and keep their kickoff return game from being much of a factor. And then um, you know the uh, the punt, I thought we regressed a little bit. I got to give credit, of course, to to Utah and their ability to return punts, and and uh, they did a great job of blocking up some things. Uh, Ryan Rico, I've got to do a better job with him. He's a real weapon, and and we could have done some things to negate that. Um, it, it, you guys. If I remember right, you asked the question about special teams and defense. Yeah, if you could okay. share some yeah. inside defense too. Uh, the kickoff return and the punt return weren't much of a factor in the game uh, for us from our return standpoint. And then, and then defensively, I, I feel like the guys are playing with a lot of confidence in each other right now. And that's, you know, I, I think some of the previous questions I've been answered allude to that as well from a, from a coach to player standpoint. But I think our players are gaining a lot of confidence in each other and that helps to, them to play aggressive and play 111th football and in fact, uh, we were we were disappointed. A, a, a large chunk of the yardage that we gave up the other night was just uh, some mental errors where maybe we weren't playing one eleventh football. We were trying to do too much and play outside the system. And, and this weekend, the uh, one of the teams that you were part of as a player, nineteen ninety six squad, is going to be honored over the weekend. I know you're going to be preparing for the game, and you're not going to probably have much time to uh, really celebrate with those guys. But they're all coming into town. Maybe just. Can you reflect on maybe the, the legacy that that 96 team has had on, on BYU football and, and maybe your relationship with those guys over the years? Oh, yeah, that's you know how it is. We uh, play alongside guys like that and then are able to accomplish something special. And uh, you know, many of the guys I'm still in touch with uh, regularly. Others, it's it, it's kind of interesting maybe not to see somebody for 10 years and then and then see someone at a function. And it's uh, it's like we you know, there was never any break in the in the conversation and so it's it's uh, i'm really looking forward to seeing the guys get back here there's that legacy that uh you know byu is always going to have we've got several of my former teammates sons and and nephews on this team and uh, that's always a family affair at byu and uh, of course you know to be able to to see some of those guys this uh this saturday and hopefully give them something to cheer about that's um you know that's very important to me thanks 
Coach, are, are there enough similarities between Jaron and Jaden Daniels that in terms of preparation, uh, going against Jaron helps you against a quarterback like Jaden Daniels in terms of trying to keep him in the pocket and keep that containment? Of course, yeah, we see that, uh, you know, for years now um, working against Jaron. And, you know, whether it's spring practice or a chunk of um, – a, a chunk of fall camp and then on a day-to-day basis during the season we don't we don't match up uh you know travel squad against travel squad offense defense very often but we do it for maybe 10 15 even 20 minutes uh, per day and we have always had to have some running quarterback packages in the in the defense and it's and and fortunately we've always had a few guys that can do that starting you know with Taysom the first year we were here and and on down there's always been somebody that can help prepare us for the game day when we have that uh, challenge thanks coach all right last question jay hey ed uh, you just mentioned the legacy players and uh, players on your team now with with fathers that played is that prevalent, more prevalent at BYU in your experience than other schools, or is that just kind of pretty commonplace? Well, it sure is for me, but, uh, but also, you know, coaching at BYU has been a real blessing for me. I've been at some other schools that don't have a strong tradition, so I wonder if, it, you know, if it's, if it's all at BYU, if it's all the church affiliation and the fact that, you know, young men often want to go up, uh, grow up wanting to come to BYU for the – the chance to live their, you know, spiritual lives in the way that they envision. But I've got to think part of it too, is just the the long legacy of success and fathers are graduating from here, from their experience here and look back fondly on it and, and the success. And they want that uh, for their sons, regardless of the, of the spiritual aspect. And, and that's what makes BYU such a special place to coach as well. Is it, you know, there's a, there's a strong tradition here that we get to inherit and be a part of. And then I just want to ask you a little bit about Isaiah Heron. I know you don't coach him, you know, directly, but you recruited him and you, you kind of found him out of Las Vegas, if I remember right. Uh, how proud of you are you of him and what he's done? And also, did it take some talking into to keep him when he entered the, tra- entered the transfer portal and then came back? Um, yeah, great questions. Uh, yeah, so Isaiah – I, yeah, I was uh, Isaiah's first offer. Um, I have a really good relationship with his high school coach, and um, and and yeah, I, I can remember when it, we when I first met Isaiah and offered him on the spot. Uh, watched him run around a little bit, and uh, was able to just make the offer right there that day. And um, yeah, so any any time that there's a, there's a handful of players on our team that that's the situation you know where it, where a, as a coach you make that first offer and you can see the joy and the wonderment and uh, the the dreams kind of flash across the face of the young man and and so to see that at that time to be able to remember that um, and then over the years to develop a relationship and see him go through ups and downs and and it's just part of college and part of growing up and you know there's not not a lot of growth that occurs without struggle and he's had his struggles here and he's had his triumphs and right now he's just on such a hot streak and um, has learned from from things in the past that he wants to be you know that he wanted to improve on on and off the field and I'm I'm so proud of him right now so so happy to see him every day the attitude that he brings the leadership that he brings and what he's bringing to the field. It's, uh, I think it, I think it really transcends not just through the whole defensive backfield, but the whole team. The, uh, the, the question you had about the transfer portal, you know, I'm really, uh, it, it, I've always 
had a, a good relationship of trust with uh, Isaiah, and that's what I wanted to keep. And we had a pretty lengthy conversation when he made that decision. And I said that I was 100% in support of his decision. I don't believe in trying to talk guys into staying. I wouldn't do that as a, in, in any type of business. And I, I don't want people here that aren't 100% sure that they want to be here. And so I think that what that did, that afforded him the time. And uh, it was about uh, just, you know, I don't know, it seemed like to me five or 10 days later that uh, I got a call back from him where he appreciated the support and, and encouragement and had second thoughts and wanted to know if we would consider taking him back. And um, absolutely, of course, we're in this until the end for him. All right, there's BYU's Ed Lamb. We're going to take a break. When we come back, PK and I with Dylan Colley. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. After a disappointing loss in the Holy War, the Utes look to rebound as they hit the road to square off against an old Mountain West Conference rival in San Diego State. Catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 4 with a postgame show immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! The 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Dylan Colley on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Dylan Colley, how happy are you? I am uh, pretty enthused. It was a decent weekend, to say the least. What'd you guys do? Not as much praying and fasting as you. I remember your prediction, and I thought during that game, I thought, look at him go. He hasn't eaten since he was on the radio. Yeah, exactly. Starved myself. I saw those two interceptions and thought, Dylan's been working it. First rain, then a BYU victory. What are you people up to next? Exactly. Don't ever question it. <laughs> so what was the to you the most impressive part of that win? The one thing that aside from the win and you want to beat your rival, but I know you want the rest of the season to go really well too and you saw it and you thought if they can do that, then it's going to be really good going forward. Yeah, I I mean you kind of uh, you look at the way the offensive line played and the kind of just dominance up front. Um, and it's hard not to think, Hey, this group of guys up front led by James Empey, if they continue to do what they did throughout the entire season, it's going to be very, very difficult to beat BYU. Um, and, you know, with that foundation, obviously everything just kind of, fell into place with the rest of it, right? And, you know, the, the running backs were able to run at 100 miles an hour downhill and make contact, you know, a yard, two yards past the line, which is, is absolutely critical. And so those little things just don't happen without without the offensive line, that, you know, uh, in the way that they played. So I'm stepping back after they won on Sunday thinking, you know, what are we going to talk about and how do we put this in perspective 
And the one thing that came to my mind is the maturity of the program. And what I mean by that, you got Kalani Sitaki's in his sixth year. And so he's a first-time head coach. You got uh, Tuiaki, defensive coordinator, first-time defensive coordinator. He's in his sixth year. You got a bunch of guys on the defensive staff, Ed Lamb, uh, General Guilford. Those guys have been there for a while. Offensively, after two years, they go and make significant changes, obviously. They bring in Jeff Grimes. He takes off. But they bring in Fessy Zataki, who'd been a coordinator at Weber. They've been at A-Rod, who'd been a coordinator at Utah. So all of a sudden now, you got all sorts of experience. Plus, we know with LDS guys, they go on missions. Maybe it takes a year for them to get the body back. So the point being that it's going to take a few years. It's not like every most every other program in the country. You sign somebody. You bring them in. In the following season, and then he's ready to go. If not, then by the next year at BYU, it takes two to three, maybe even four years. Mm-hmm. Look at Jaron Hall in his fourth year. So the point I'm making is that this is where the program is at, and it took some time to get there. Now, with that in mind, you can see that. But do you think the program has arrived now to where okay? We've got it because now you'll send kids out to do their mission, but you also get kids back now. So the cycle will be what it is. And we should expect, especially with Big 12 membership, the program going forward to be able to win consistently. Yeah, I, I, I arrived. I don't know if that is, is the right mindset yet. I think there's probably another, you know, depending on how consistent they say this season and then going into next season, I that type of success will truly determine the future. Are they, is the momentum better than it has been? And obviously, you know, probably a decade plus 100%. And I think they're in a extremely, extremely good place to kind of catapult themselves into that discussion where it is, Hey, BYU's going to win consistently, you know, for the next 10, 15 years because of the talent that, you know, we'll expect to have, uh, due to, you know, obviously the maturity in the program, due to the announcement of, of the Big 12 and, and all those pieces. And so um, arrived, probably not. Uh, headed there and, and doing it quickly, absolutely. It was, it was a very fast two-year turnaround. And, and what we've seen has happened, you know, probably quicker than most, most programs in regards to where they were at and now where they're headed. So it sounds like you're taking a little bit of a wait-and-see attitude. So with Arizona State coming in, are you a little worried that that big emotional win, there's going to be a letdown and you're going to be slamming on the brakes by Saturday night? No, and I think that goes back to the maturity, right? I think if there was one opportunity, like I said the week before, this win determines really what goes forward. Um, And, you know, ultimately there is going to be no greater pressure that outside sources put on Jaron and put on the BYU team uh, than, you know, what they've had this last week, right? Everybody wanted them, especially from, right, the the northern side, even though it's not a rivalry to them, right? Everybody from the northern side wanted BYU, the momentum to come to a halt Saturday night, and that's what was expected. And so to have somebody like Jaron who's never started in this game, never played in this game, to come in and show the patience, right, show the maturity that he did, I mean, there isn't going to be a tougher mental task put on him the rest of this season. Unless, right, now I'm not getting ahead of myself here, unless they went out and are looking at, you know, vying for a playoff option, 
only because, right, that is a, a potential step. You know what I'm saying? So the rest of the season, he's able to look back and say, okay, I got through that and look at how I did it, right? Now he just kind of has a clear path to use it as, you know, that foundation and, and stepping stone to, to start, you know, taking baby steps even higher. I'm interested to know what you think about the Big 12 membership and what that can do. The way I look at it is that there's going to be, uh, particularly in the West, a fair amount of kids who are going to want to go to BYU because they're because it is BYU. They're of the uh, religious affiliation. I look at your brother Austin, who was a big-time player, could have gone to a number of schools, obviously played in the NFL, but he wanted to BYU for you know, football and probably the religious connection. So they'll get those kids. But how about the possibility of expanding to maybe get some other kids and really make a difference in a program? Uh, it's going to be – it is going to be absolutely huge. I think the main name you look at in the past and you say, okay, what's the potential, right, is, is Jamal, is Jamal Williams. Uh, kid from Fontana, right, came in, non-member, um, and really took hold of the BYU culture, right? And said, Hey, I'm not going to really conform. There is not this, there might be some pressure to, right? Especially almost 10 years ago, but I'm going to be myself and watch me succeed. And so you use that and you see kind of the guys, um, that, uh, you know, are willing, right? Five star, four star guys that even before the Big 12 membership this past couple of years are saying, yeah, BYU is a place to be. And now that momentum is only going to carry. And I talk about momentum because right now I don't think that there's a program, uh, you know, within, you know, outside of maybe, you know, the, the other power fives and the SEC teams, right? But when you talk about momentum in recruiting, BYU has probably the most, most momentum going forward because of the Big 12. And then you look at guys that are willing and wanting to play at a program that has, you know, a winning culture, and that's where they're headed. A program that's in the power five, and that's where they're headed. A program that has, you know, unbelievable swag and partnerships with some of the largest companies in the world, one of the best Nike partnerships in the world, right? You take those three things and you give that to an 18-year-old kid, it's a shoe-in, right? No matter what is happening outside of that, those three things are going to carry recruiting for a very long time. And then you look at the values of the school, uh, and it's the same thing that happened for Nicole Williams, Jamal's mom. And she said, I want my son to be here. And so all of those things kind of lined up, and then you end up having, right, in my opinion, the greatest running back in BYU history. Dylan Colley joining us, former BYU wide receiver. Everything's coming up roses. You sound very positive right now. Are there any potholes you see going forward? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's always going to be, you know, how does everybody respond, right? Or how long can you stay on cloud nine and what's your mindset moving forward? It goes back to are we looking at it as a foundational thing or are we looking at it as, oh, we're already at the top? And it can be difficult with all of the hype and with everything and the notoriety, right, and the attention. It's kind of difficult to look at it as, hey, we're just getting started. People can say it, but how do we actually mean it, right? And so the the big question is going to be how does this team 
you know, look at it as, hey, we still have a long way to climb, even though we're going to get there together, right? And we have a really good opportunity to, we can't fall off thinking that this is the top of it, right? Because we're only two games into the season. So that's, that's hands down my biggest worry. About the Nakua brothers, what they bring, you know, there was a little bit of trash talking, taking off the helmets. That's something we normally see in Provo, but is that something that's actually needed? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you look at you look at the other guys that have brought that type of mentality. You look at the mentality that Max and Austin brought to the game. You look at the mentality that Jamal brought to the game, right? There's this chip on the shoulder and confidence knowing Hey, we really we can't be stopped, and and you're gonna you're gonna have to stop me because I'm not stopping right myself. And so, what Puka and Samson did Saturday, Puka right coming in doing what he did, expected necessary right to play that physical. That's why he is the highly touted receiver that he is, and that's why he's going to be unbelievably successful. What Samson did on Saturday, even outside of the play, to mentally break down that team, right? That he really did. He, he left, okay, for obviously different reasons that we, you know, can assume and say, hey, yep, he wanted to go play at BYU. But the reaction that you, the teammates were giving him, right, kind of that, hey, you're being cut off, the friendship, the loyalty, and then to have him come back and do what he did, Right, and then to kind of open it up, I don't think people understand how difficult that is for someone and for an entire team to take, right? And I think that was a huge part of kind of that mental dominance that BYU had on Saturday simply because of what Samson was doing to his whole team. And, you know, are there moments where it can become a little much? Sure. But ultimately, right, those penalties and, and that kind of, you know, uh, that mentality that, that those two dudes had, and especially Samson and what he was able to kind of do to his old team, um, that's the type of mentality that needs to be carried the rest of the season. So what's your level of confidence for being Arizona State? Both teams are 2-0. and Both teams are ranked. Whoever loses this, that's early in the season and kind of disappear off the national radar. But if you win this at 3-0, and a little higher ranked, it sets the stage for the next thing. Yeah, I mean, obviously you're going up against a very, very similar team to Utah, right? And, and then being in the Pac-12, I think that there is going to be a little bit of a, hey, these guys, you know, like I said Saturday night, these guys think that they have a place in the Pac-12. Um, and so they're, you know, obviously a very athletic team. They're extremely well coached. Uh, I think they're one of those teams that's starting to turn a corner in terms of momentum in the same way that BYU has. And so – you know, you have uh, the opportunity to really kind of close out uh, a solid three weeks. Um, you know, I I do believe that BYU is in the best position to win, um, especially with it being back at Lavelle Edwards Stadium uh, and kind of the energy that was brought this last weekend. I, I think that continues on, um, and you know, it, it's obviously going to be a very good game. But uh, I think I think BYU is in the driver's seat. So the last time BYU fans stormed the field, and I had no problem with them doing it, it's fun, it's college, so you know, go ahead and do it, was uh, September 14th, uh, 2019 against SC, right? You remember that game? It was in overtime. Uh, yeah. 
And the point I'm getting to is that it's such emotion expense, expended as it was uh, Saturday night. And then I'm looking at the schedule right now. And then they lose the next three weeks. Uh, Washington handled them at home. And then they go to Toledo and South mm-hmm. Florida and lose. So what's your level of concern on carryover emotionally? Yeah, there's, I mean, once again, right, you go back to the level of the maturity of the team. The USC win, right, did that deserve a, a storming of the field? Probably not. Um, and so, you know, the, the leadership and the guys that are, are here now have been there long enough to see that they've lost those three games after last USC win, right? Uh like I said, is it something to worry about? Absolutely, right? Because it's a matter of what your mindset is and where your vision's at. Is it a foundational win or is it the cloud nine? And if you're already at cloud nine, then everything else you're kind of looking down as, you know, hey, it doesn't really matter. Whereas I believe the program is in a position, especially with the coaches in place now, that, hey, it's a foundational win, and we go up from here. And so that energy from the team needs to be kind of shown throughout the season. It doesn't matter really what the fans do, right? The fans are going to be obnoxious. The fans are going to do what they want. As long as the team stays within the locker room and, and focuses on the next one, then, you know, they should, they should be able to overcome. Dylan, as always, we appreciate the time. We will talk to you next week. And uh, I think most of the fan base just looks to you now. More fasting, more praying, 3-0, baby. It's all you. You've got the power. Absolutely. There's Dylan Colley. Coming up next, what is trending? All the headlines next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag NFL. Unfortunately, sometimes in this league, you, you get humbled. And certainly, we got humbled. And like I said, it's it's about how we respond to that, how we come back to work, how we stay together and get ready to play against a team that I know is going to be really hungry coming in here. That's Matt LaFleur, head coach of the Packers. After they get blown out by the Saints, now they got the Lions coming up. Got to figure things out after a horrible season opener. Betting on the Packers for a bounce back. Who do they play? The Lions. I think the Lions will sleep tonight. Niners running back Raheem Mostert will undergo season-ending knee surgery after multiple meetings with doctors. They were hoping minor arthroscopic surgery would fix the knee issue. Have him back in eight weeks. But he announced on social media his season is over. So is mine. NFL's kickoff weekend ended up having the second highest TV ratings for week one over the past five years. 17 million viewers on average across the 16 games on TV and digital properties. Not right. TV ratings. 7% increase over last year. Doesn't look like the league's going away. I, I would have bet that. I'll bet your house. The Saints had eight members of their organization test positive for COVID-19, calling into question their status for Sunday's game against the Carolina Panthers. That total includes six offensive coaches, a player, and the team nutritionist. 
Hmm. Well, if you believe the stats, they have a 90-something percent chance to survive it. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. As you guys know, I can't stand in any form of distraction. Um, so I'll discuss this today with the leadership council so that we can make sure that all of our energy and uh, our, all of our energy is on our preparation for Auburn. Look, I don't talk to anybody. I barely talk to my own family during the during the season. And, uh, you know, so I wouldn't ever talk about it, nor would I have even answer a phone call or anything like that. So um, I know nothing. Nor does it make me have any interest. That's James Franklin and Luke Fickle, the Penn State and Cincinnati coach, on the USC coaching vacancy. You always hear that, that no distractions. So you're with these kids who are, you know, 18 to 22, 23, maybe 92 if you're at BYU or Stephen Covey or Britton Covey. Uh, And so, like, they have nothing. It's just football all day, every day. And they're not thinking about anything else. Not possible. Let's <laughs> make a big deal. No distractions. <laughs> this is a huge distraction. USC, their money, their rep could come calling. Uh, sure, but I don't think they're going to come calling now. I mean, it's not like we're going to see, we've yet to ever see a college coach or pro coach for that matter. Your soccer guy was the first thing, I, first time I ever saw that. Leaving for an assistance job. Well, yeah. even a head coaching, but even worse. Uh, I don't know, even worse. I mean, more surprising, I guess, is probably the better verb, is that uh, uh, he did it in season. And I don't think we'll get to the point where we'll see a college coach, or a pro coach for that matter, beyond your soccer, to see him take another job on Tuesday and then be there Wednesday and the job he left. It, I just don't see it, so... The job will be there, and they'll have conversations if they're interested. They'll they'll have their representatives do it. So you could say, I, you know, I, I won't take a phone call, but you can make a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy I'm paying over here, he made a phone call. Yeah, and took multiple calls. Right. The key will be they'll want to leave to get a head start, whoever it is, assuming they're in a job. And obviously, we talked yesterday out a couple of high-profile guys who aren't in a job. But they want to get a start on recruiting. Yeah, nobody's going to leave in September to do that. Recruiting is start is ongoing, though. That it is. So the assistants at SC can continue to do it. And why wouldn't you do it if you're an assistant at SC? Because it, and if you can get three or four or five guys and get them to stay, that's going to shine positive light on you to be able to re- be Absolutely. retained. Absolutely. So the recruiting, I don't, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. And then they can continue to recruit, and they'll do it right after uh, the Monday after Thanksgiving. You'd have a whole month to decide. And, son, you know, if you're going to base your attendance at a school on one individual, there's no guarantee he's going to be there in two or three years anyway. So I, I just don't see recruiting as that big of a deal. And then with the transfer portal, you've basically got another nine months, eight months to handle that. And that and that's the direction we're going. You've got holes. You don't fill them with high school kids. You fill them... Look at, look at Utah, man. We made such a big deal. Wow, they've got kids from LSU and Oklahoma. And there's ro- a kid on the roster who looks like he'll be the starter. Right. They so, rode yeah. the bench at LSU and Oklahoma, and they're riding the bench at Utah. <laughs> 
Division One Football Oversight Committee is considering a one-year waiver that would allow football programs to go over the yearly 25-player signing limit. In the proposal, which uh, is not finalized, college programs would be able to recoup an initial counter for every current player that transfers up to seven players and a max of 32. We speak English. Initial counter? What the hell does that mean? Our listeners don't know what initial counters mean. They're just going to have to loosen that number on 25 and 85 because there are too many guys transferring. It's because it's on the paper. You don't have to read it verbatim. I didn't. I skipped over some letters and initials re- there. You can replace seven transfers. You can sign your 25-man class yeah. with 32 players. That's, that's good. That's what I want. English. We're not talking to recruiting experts driving to work right now. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. John Wall could be on the move again. The Houston Rockets and Wall have agreed to work together in an attempt to find a trade destination for the veteran point guard. He's 31. He's not expected to play for Houston. Team management and Wall mutually decided a bench role for him wouldn't be beneficial. So, Wall is due $91.7 million over the next two years. Could be on the move again. I know we're supposed to be cheerleaders for the NBA. But that is everything that's wrong. John Wall is owed $90 million. And he's just bouncing around between he's teams. He's 31 years old. Uh, he, How much is he The day won? he retires, he'll be forgotten. <laughs> he's making that guaranteed $90 million. All right. For what? What has he ever done that deserves that kind of money? He's a five-time All-Star? Won a playoff series once in the East. The number one overall pick. What has he ever done to deserve that kind of money? We're giving P- you a couple PK's of things. referring to winning. I'm sure. <laughs> I, we'll give you what, what we've got. Man, shocking. And in Houston, it's just constantly start over. At the start of every season, the message to the fan base is, uh, we're blowing this up and starting over. Come back in a while. Yeah, but they've won titles, so their fan base can understand it. Denver Nuggets forward Aaron Gordon has agreed to a four-year, $92 million contract extension. He joined Denver in March. Orlando traded him in a deal, and he fit in in Denver, so they're giving him four years and $92 million. So that's half of John Wall's deal. Well, that, that, that's it. He fit in. Yep. He didn't star. No. He fit in. No, they've got, <sighs> they've got the MVP. He can't shoot a lick. I mean, he was blessed with all sorts of athleticism. Good for him. Jeez, man. But he's the, what do you think, on any given night, at the fourth best player on the floor? He's okay. Yeah. And NBA players will not be, will not have to get a vaccination for COVID-19. The league is about 80% vaccinated already. So, they'd have to go through the Players Association. But employees will, but the players won't? Yeah, the employees are Officials not. Officials and employees have to be vaccinated. Players yeah. are currently still well, being negotiated. They're not Where's rep- the consistency there? The, the consistency is they're not represented by the NBA Players Association. That's not consistency. <laughs> that's the reason. That's yeah. the reason, but that's not the consistency. I get the reason. I know the reason, but where's the consistency? There is no. So the schlub who cleans the bathrooms has to get it? Yes. The Ushers. I'm here for you, little man, because I am you. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. He swings it to high drive, deep left field. Profar back at the wall. It is 
the bleachers. Buster Posey, first inning home run. Swung on, hit down to third. Glove by Justin Turner. Sets his feet, throws to first. That's the ball game. And the Dodgers put another W in the back. 93 wins for the Dodgers. They clinch a playoff spot officially. So the Dodgers are heading to the postseason. It was inevitable. Now it's official. 8-4, the Dodgers beat the Diamondbacks. So they are in as the Giants and Dodgers both race to 100 wins and beyond. Dodgers don't pick up any ground on the Giants. They beat the Padres 6-1. You heard Buster Posey hitting his 18th homer there to get things started. So the Giants stay two and a half games up on the Dodgers. The Dodgers have won five in a row and picked up no ground. They've actually lost ground because the Giants have won nine in a row. Are they peaking too early, PK? Can they sustain this for six more weeks? Why not? They've sustained it for six more months. So keep it rolling. Cardinals taking over the last wild card spot with the Padres ice cold and the Phillies ice cold. It's the Cardinals. A little four-game winning streak here, and they've moved half game up on the Reds, a game on the Padres, and three on the Phillies. So taking over. American League, the Yankees have been in the dumper, but, man, the Orioles are good for what ails you, right? They have, like, five home runs. Yeah, hit five homers, one seven to two. The Orioles, they're not to 50 wins yet, but they might get there. So, Yankees picking up picking up the victory there as they continue on in the wild card race in the American League. Salt Lake Bees lost to the Dodgers. 11-7 in the series finale. Bees open a six-game series in Reno tomorrow, 7-35. Ryan Braun, Milwaukee Brewers franchise home run king, announced his retirement. He's not played this season. Became a free agent when the Brewers declined to exercise a $15 million mutual option in his contract last October. So he's hanging it up with 352 career homers. Seattle's been chosen to host the Major League Baseball All-Star Game in 2023. So they're going up there. If you're a, if you're a Mariners fan, road trip! You have to be a Mariners fan to go to the All-Star Game? I was looking at the Mariners fan in here, suggesting it. No, you don't have to be a Mariners fan to go to the All-Star Game. <laughs> but for the person who is a Mariners fan in the next room, road trip! <laughs> Meh. DJ and PK. Hashtag RSL. RSL in San Jose to take on the Earthquakes tonight. 8.30. Earthquakes won the first matchup between these two teams, 2-1. Wondolowski came in off the bench and scored scored two goals late. RSL. Oh, man. He's up for sixth man of the year? (laughs) I guess it would be 12th man of the year, right? I thought Seattle has that. RSL in San Jose in the middle of the playoff race. Seven teams for three spots. San Jose starts tonight. Three points behind RSL. I think RSL's won there like once in the last five years. Well, no time like the present. That is exactly true. Aaron Herrera is back. He was out for yellow card accumulation last game, suspended, but he's back. And Everton will be out yellow card accumulation for tonight's game. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There is no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing plumbing. Coming up, Riley Jensen makes his weekly visit. He's going to be here at 8 o'clock, our college football insider. And Ryan Abraham 
publisher and owner of uscfootball.com, will join us at 8.30 on USC Search for a new football coach and how they might perform this season with an interim coach. We'll talk with Ryan coming up at 8.30. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Aggies open Mountain West Conference play with a trip to the Air Force Academy for a showdown against the Falcons. Hear all the pregame action beginning with the Aggie pregame show this Saturday at 4.30 on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5-1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Lendrite Mortgage will be live with us Friday morning to help you get the lowest rates on your new mortgage or refinance. Listen Friday morning and visit LendrideMortgage.com for more information. Okay. Question of the day. Has BYU arrived as a football program under Kalani Sataki? Hit us up on Facebook, DJ and PK, Twitter, David DJ James. Grab your phone, use our app, use the open mic feature, Send us your takes, and Yak will play them. Yak, Yak, Yak on heaven's door. Beat the youths. Check that off the list. Daniel says arrived at what? Big 12 football conference? Checkmark joined it. Beat your rival for the first time since 09? Checkmark joined it. National ranking? Checkmark. Proving last year wasn't a fluke. However, every week we'll see, including this week against Arizona State. So Daniel feels like... Okay, well, he's getting there, but he hasn't arrived yet. Then nobody's arrived if that's the because everybody's barometer. got to prove it again next week. And yeah. Ohio State didn't prove it against Oregon, so have they arrived? You've got to prove it all night, prove it all night. night. <laughs> <laughs> nice, good pull right there, Aaron. I was not a Kalani fan for a long time, but my mind is changing. First years were rough, but I think he's coming to his own. Got the program where he wants it and has a good staff. Hopefully, BYU will increase pay for his staff so he can keep them. Actually, the first year was the second best year they've had. Nine and four. <laughs> that was good. So, first year wasn't rough. And then it got rocky. <laughs> second, third, fourth years. Second year, obviously, about as rough as it's going to get. Another rough year like that, and there wouldn't have been a Kalani Sataki era. It would have been over. But mm-hmm. four and nine went to seven and six, went to seven and six again, then the eleven win season, and yeah. here we sit, two and zero. Oh, yeah, so got a little hostility on the page here, PK. Good, <laughs> Josh. <laughs> they arrived forty years ago. You can actually look it up and find stuff about Heisman and Outland winners, and even a national championship. Yeah, but I said under Kalani Sataki. Didn't oh, he? you wanted him to read the whole question. <laughs> He's a BYU fan who's been taking it for 10 years, and he is about to dish it back out. That's great, but that's telling me Charlie Brewer looked great in the Sugar Bowl. That's nice, and that's great, but he didn't look good Saturday night. Doesn't mean he can't look good this Saturday, but last Saturday he didn't. And the most important game of his Utah career to date, which is just barely getting started, it wasn't good. Not that it was all his fault by any stretch. Uh, so whatever you did is nice. But what are you doing? And for Kalani Sataki, it's important to have the 
program at a level that consistently win. That's what arrive means. Can it consistently win? Now, that doesn't mean going forward you're going to have a slew of 11-win seasons and you're going to win a slew of Big 12 championships. Back-to-back eight-win seasons would be good. He hasn't done that yet. Yes, he, may, he may well be on his way to it right now. I believe he needs six more. Good math. Nice. <laughs> Solid. And, he's got and other some... people may set the bar. How about back-to-back nine-win seasons? Okay, sure. And yeah. then you believe he needs seven more. Oh, oh, to do uh, <laughs> to do the math. Yeah, we're kind of in a, in a little bit of a lull here because these games count. They're very important. Obviously, Saturday night, two ranked teams, blah, blah, blah. It's a big-time game. Uh, won't have the emotion of the Ute game, nor should it. Uh, but the funny thing is, he's answering and silencing his critics right now, right? Because so far, they've backed up last season, right? So last season, they get the 11 wins. Now they're 2-0. and uh, Look like you know, look like they're going to be minimum 7-5, and if not more. And so that's going to be good. So I believe he's going to answer the critics from last year. And then, you know, Jaron Hall looked like he'll, he stands to reason if he's healthy, he should be better next season. So they'll probably be okay next season. But then it'll start over again when you go into the Big 12. Can you compete in the Big 12? So it's a little bit funky right now as we go. And I guess maybe to, to an extent, y- y- everyone has to do that. Uh, but like Kyle, Kyle Winningham doesn't have to answer, am I a good coach? Now, if they go... Uh, three and nine. Whoa! Then what he'll happened? have to answer it next year, right? Yeah. I understand that, but he won't be answering it. He's not answering it now. Well, even if the Cougars have two good seasons this year and next year, which they very well could have, it's going to start over again for the program. What can you do now? Because it was the same thing for the Utes. You know, they had been. At a high level, and he had uh, Kyle obviously at a, as a Mountain West coach had slam dunked that answer. I'm really good at this level. He had to answer it again. It started from scratch. Now he did took him a little bit, but he got there, and there are they are by far, by far. It's not even close. By far, the most stable program minimum in the South, and certainly one of the most stable in the conference. So he's. That question is long put to bed. Just to go with the numbers that we were just talking about with BYU, he's averaged over nine wins a year over six years in a row. That's great. As far as I'm concerned, that's really, really good. So he shut that down. So Kalani's going to have to do it now and then do it again in two years. But you really, you wanted that because that meant you were in a conference and you got in to, you know, it's not the best, but I think it's pretty good. And then maybe they can grow. Who's to say, man, because these these programs that they're bringing in are all in pretty good spots. I mean, unlike Colorado was a trash program when it, when it came in and really hadn't gotten a whole lot better, uh, except for one season. Cincinnati and UCF really have it going. They really have it going. Yeah, so does BYU. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Houston's been a little up and down, but uh-huh. it wasn't that long ago they had it going. Right. Right. So, And they weren't as down as Colorado's been, that's for sure. Uh, so these four programs could actually add to the uh, national stature, and then somebody's going to emerge. I mean, we saw BYU emerge when the Arizonas left back in the 70s, 
right? So you have it stands to reason some somebody in the existing eight, if not multiples, are going to be pretty good too. So I think it's a very solid conference going forward. And we've already spoken about basketball. I think it's a home run for basketball, but for football, which is most important, I think it's a, it has a great minimum start foundation and see how high it can get. So he's going to have to answer that. And that'll be really intriguing, too. Now, along with that is going to come some opportunities to bring in some more talent, some more money. So you would expect uh, both both of these coaches, interestingly, I think in two years are going to be under the spotlight. And by both, I mean Mark Pope. You know, Mark Pope is just the a bundle of energy. He's just a marketing genius. I, I've got to give it to him. But you've got to win in the NCAA tournament. You know, you, you know, two years ago, you didn't get a chance to go. Last year, your first round ends up being a Final Four team. All right, so it was kind of a bad draw. But over four, five, six years, you're not going to always draw in a first round the team that goes to the Final Four. So the pressure... And I think I saw some, I saw a piece uh, by Dick Harmon on this. I agree 100 percent that the pressure on Mark Pope is going to rise a whole lot more. And that's, <laughs> but, but that's great. Yeah. You want that? Well, as the commissioner said, that league's in the RPI. It's one or two every year. Year it's after year, it's a kid butt basketball league. You cannot argue it. It's going to be so exciting. I look forward to it so much. I wish it was. I wish it was starting this right year. Right now, yeah. let's go. I mean, we got to get through uh, two more winters. <laughs> and then see what that man can do. I'm excited for his possibilities for sure, particularly with the transfer portal, that he can really just, he's already done a phenomenal job on it, and my guess is that he'll do even more of a phenomenal job. But for right now, the football program, can I define arrive as win consistently. And can they do that? It looks like the answer right now today is yes. yes. But... Are you worried about the emotional letdown coming out flat against ASU sure, but and that's all that? Just one game. But even so, it's one game, and yeah. the schedule after that suggests there's another winning streak out there. Right. So, yeah, if they lose this game, it doesn't take away from what they did last week. I mean, because they don't have to necessarily be flat to lose the game. You can lose 31-28, you know, and not you're not necessarily flat. The other team made a play or two more. So be it. Those things. There's a winner and loser in every game. Those things happen. So, but it's not like you necessarily were flat. It's like, uh, I think in, in their favor, they're saying that the Sun Devils, their best lineman is their center. And they're saying he's probably not going to play. That's a major blow for those guys because that line has been patchwork since Herm has got there. And that's historically what they've been for many years. They usually don't have any trouble recruiting decent receivers and some guys who can run the ball. Uh, but in the trenches, they just don't. They are not anything close to an NFL pipe, pipeline by any stretch. And he's got. He's a three-year starter, and now he's. They're saying he's out. He hasn't been practicing, and hasn't even been at practice uh, because Herm opens up all the practices. Well, BYU's front defensive front is coming off a uh, a good performance against the Utes. So. Oh yes, yeah, Eminence front, and it's not a put on. Eminence front? Yeah. Eminence front! Eminence front! It's put on! Eminence front! Sunshine! People forget! Eminence front! We got more reaction flowing in. A Joshua Newman tweets at us. Can I defer my answer until Saturday night? 
<laughs> no. No, we need it for the show no, right this now. This is sports radio, man. It's, it's, Come on, Josh. Man, we're, 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 we're built on clouds and sand here. <laughs> <laughs> we reserve the right to re- change our opinion by 8 o'clock. New information, <laughs> new opinion. I may, look, You hey, don't even need new information. I change it three, four times in a segment, depending uh, on what you say. I've, I've noticed. <laughs> If I get too close to the truth, then just begin the personal attacks. And go! Eminence front, it's put on! I had not thought of that in a long time. I just heard it yesterday. It's satellite radio, man. You never have to have commercials. You just punch, 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 punch. Jared says, uh, to the question, has uh, has the program arrived under Kalani? <clears throat> no, not yet. But this is the biggest step. To starting the process of arriving. You can't arrive if you've never been able to recruit top-tier athletes. With the Big 12, they may be able to land some of them. We'll see then. If they recruit four-star athletes consistently and can win the Big 12 more than once, I think then they can say they've arrived. That's still a tall task with the honor code. See, I don't think it's about recruiting top-tier talent. It's developing top-tier talent. That's more important than recruiting it. Because what you're recruiting, top-tier talent, is based in high school. Right? And based on summer seven on seven and cone drills and shuttles and forty yard dashes and jumps and all the And all if you that deliver stuff. an NFL guy who comes in and kicks butt and wins big games, who cares yeah. what their star was when they showed up on campus? Right. Trevor Riley's told me he's a two star. Well, he got to play in the NFL. Yeah. So who cared what his star was? And we've seen plenty of guys who've come with this, that, or that whatever ranking and not be Living up to that ranking, which is to a degree arbitrarily assigned. I don't discount it completely, but I think most important is developing top-tier talent. And when you have five guys drafted off of one ball club, that means you developed or they developed in some combination thereof top-tier talent. The NFL thought highly of the talent to draft the player. And they're heartless. 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 <laughs> never, never out of control. Jonathan I, gives I'm us. A, I'm in the concert mood tonight. I'm going clearly. to see John Party tonight. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Let you go. Jonathan says, maybe. Beating the Utes is a great step. Get back to me in six weeks. Well, then we'll know for sure, won't we? I guess it could be hanging in the balance in six weeks. Hanging in the balance. Yeah, but see, that's the point. Anybody could tell you what right. happened. That doesn't right. take a talent. And five and three, if they win their last four and finish nine and three, then we can say I was arrived. the lone wolf in the woods in the wild when I told you Zach Wilson would be a great quarterback and he would play in the NFL. And I took all sorts of shots from my own radio family, I might add. Let alone all my numerous detractors. And they are numerous. And in the end, I stand tall. I was right. So anybody could tell you, oh man, Jack Wilson, as I look back, he had a phenomenal year. And most importantly, he had a phenomenal throw in the NFL tryout camp. Known as Pro Day. Best throw I've ever seen. I just replayed in my mind. I'm telling you, when they get in basketball this year and they got that video, they should even do it here at Lavelle. I was saying they got a whole first, bunch of big screens. First, the ain't shot. Yeah, and, and the, then the throw. 
Yeah, the Ainge drive, the Ainge play. It's okay. not just a, the shot, actually, was the easiest part of the play. Pick it up at the inbound, as they always do. And Ainge, man, he is lurking all over the place. You <laughs> can't go anywhere in Provo without bumping into him. <laughs> I know. We were down there for the Big 12 thing. They had the hat pulled low, yeah. right past the door. Like, hey! And he smiled and nodded, never broke stride. Well, he was there at the game uh, Saturday. It was roaming the press box. Well, now that he doesn't have those pesky Celtic responsibilities. Yeah, as I understand it, they moved back. He's got a home there somewhere in the ghettos of Provo. The what? Yes, the ghettos (laughs) of Provo. High on the top of Y Mountain. I don't know where he lives, but I've been informed that uh, he's taken up residence there. So they should play that. Play that and then the throw. And then let's follow it up with the pass. McMahon, uh, the the tight end was the name Brown, and then uh, who was the guy? Unfortunately, passed Morell with that great tackle, leaping over the bound all over the pile of line of scrimmage and pulling the running back down in Hawaii at the, like the half an inch line or something like that. Some of the great plays in BYU, and then of, of course you finish it off with back to Harleen. Justin says, here's the thing. Let's list teams BYU has beaten in recent years. Texas, USC, Tennessee, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Utah, along with uh, several other Pac-12 teams. BYU is talented. I fully expect a couple years of climbing and building in the Big 12, just like Utah did with the Pac-12. Eventually, BYU will bump up another level. Good times. Love having a Pac-12 and Big 12 football in the state. How great is that? I'd agree with that. But I think there's a little bit difference. I'm going to have a higher standard for the Utes going in. You mean for the Cougars. Cougars? Excuse me. Yes, correct. Because it was basically a one-year deal. Here, it's a two-year. So everybody that you're going to recruit, aside from the transfer portal, who may be a one and doneer, is going to be, especially with them, with the missions, they're going to be recruited into the Big Twelve. So if you're not recruiting Big Twelve talent now, something's wrong, right? Because they then they love to tell you. 82% serve missions into 75 countries, and they speak 42 languages. And fine, build that up. Mamas and papas, religion is important to them. I get it. So why wouldn't you promote that? Absolutely. It's a tool for that segment, and that's the most significant segment by far on your roster. So, of course, you need to build that up. A- absolutely. Bronco did it. Kalani does it a little more lower key, uh, but Bronco did it. and uh, Absolutely. But every one of those kids who is going to go and serve – will be a Big 12 player from the first day they arrive on campus if they leave right out of high school. So you already know that. So you've got more lead time than the Utes had. Have they been scaling up on this independent schedule? It's not the same. You don't have do you the mean, power have five. scaling up? Recruiting? Uh, yeah, who they recruit and, and the talent they get. You don't have... I mean, it'll still be an adjustment going to the Big 12, and you will have the Big 12 logo and the official... Power 5 designation as opposed to existing in a gray area. Not in a G5 conference. I don't, I see, I don't think teams. it was a gray area because they've established themselves, this is who we are. Well, and that maybe shortens the curve a little bit too. I agree with you. And then also, they're going into a league where the big dog is leaving, and the Utes went into a league where the big dog was still there. Oregon didn't go anywhere. Had yeah, a blip for a game. Year. Right, but as far as trying to win it, you know, Utah ran up against Oregon in a title game and got drilled. And we're going to judge BYU. Oh, yeah. Now, to the point, about, years into it? the point about going eight or nine 
At the same time, seasons. They, they, they ran into Oregon. You're acting like Oregon. They also laid 60 on Oregon, too. Yeah, they did. So. Well, Oregon definitely had the blip. I mean, they had that <laughs> four-win season or five-win season, whatever it was. Nate says, remember, Gary Croton started out 10-0 and in 2000. Actually, started out 12-0, and but he did start 10-0. Well, in order to get to 12, you got to have 10 we, first. All right. He we, started out 7 and 0. <laughs> he started out 9 and 0. Let's fix every number. Uh, remember, Gary Croton started out uh, undefeated in 2000. We all know how that turned out. We'll take 10 year assistant Kalani back if things don't work out. Lots of big boy football to be played. And Nate does have the Ute logo as the avatar. Well, that, but that's on the level that you always are, have to prove yourself, though. So if you want to go that way, Let's get Clay Helton on the phone. You've never I mean, arrived. Yeah. Thanks for the Rose Bowl, Clay. Here's $12 million and the yeah. door is on your left. You have to prove yourself constantly. This is a what have you done. No doubt about it. I get it. So, But see, we, we, he wants where there is the question isn't a question. It's already been answered. That's the whole point of this. And the essence of sports talk radio is to debate, to debate drivel and to... to <laughs> To put that out there. You football fans would prefer if you didn't refer to winning big football games as drivel. Well, but it's all, it's all, there is no right or wrong. You can't say that because there isn't conclusive proof. That's why you're debating it. Because if there was conclusive proof, you wouldn't debate it. Has Alabama arrived? Debate. Yeah, right? <laughs> Until they beat the Dolphins, I'm yeah. not convinced. So that's the whole point of the question. The question of the day is something that is debatable. Have they arrived? Not, we're not going to wait five years and have them average uh, in, 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 in five years look back and say, well, they, have, they won 50 games. Well, then that's not a question. There is no question. The answer is obvious. So, no, don't wait. That's not the point. The point is to talk about it now. Call your shot, man. Put yourself out there and say, this is what I think. And Tony Romo saying he thinks Zach Wilson is going to be a phenomenal quarterback, right? He's not waiting until he's won two Super Bowls. Yeah, he's, a, he's a phenomenal quarterback. Well, everybody knows it at that point, right? Tony Romo's making his mark, telling you the play as they break the huddle, not well, they just ran that. Well, I, I can see for myself what they just ran. Ron says Kalani has proven he's ready to get a huge pay raise and take over for Wit when Kyle retires. Sorry, Zoobs, you may have won a game, but you're still just our farm system. Hashtag little 12. <clears throat> Apparently, the rivalry lives on. That game it, it, doesn't matter. Well, it, I mean, it matters, but at the Clearly same time, they've won nine out of ten, which is no slouch. I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying BYU is overtaking Utah as the premier program in the state by any stretch. I mean, that's not going to happen. Uh, they did win one game, good for them, uh, and it was great, great moment in their in their time. And it was, I think, it was his best victory since he's gone independent. It, it was the most important one, topping USC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would, to me, right now, I would put uh, Wisconsin up there. Another good one. Because that, that was there. Uh, here. The other two are home games. And you're, you're facing a, a, literally a first-year freshman quarterback, 
in his second or third start. In the SC game. And yeah. it was his first road game. Uh, I mean, what do you expect? I mean, let, let's not forget, Slovis was a freshman. It was a great win. And that's the last time they stormed the field. It was fun. It was fun to be there that day. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, the circumstances. I, I put, the, at least the, to me, the Wisconsin win was more improbable. Uh, because I I know some people at SC, uh, one of their administrators has been there for 50 years, and he had told me in the summer, I saw him in the summer when I was down there, that and that's probably my my bias closeness to the situation where I don't have any contacts at, at uh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah. But somebody tells you, this guy's good, but right. they'll be growing pains. And, and they, they had said that there was some issues. It wasn't so much with Slovis. It was the, the from the defensive end. No. Oh. And that they were talking about that, the 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 circumstances. But nevertheless, that was a great win. And you know, uh, you beat any time you beat a Pac-12 team. It it where Utah, where BYU was. Now going forward, like in twenty four, twenty five, twenty six, shouldn't be that as big of a deal. Then it'll depend on the team. It'll be fun, but it shouldn't be as big of a deal. Anytime you beat somebody of a stature. It's fun, yes, I understand that. That's the whole point of playing the game is to win the thing, to quote my guy Herm. Uh, but it shouldn't be as uh, big of a deal. You know what I mean? Like you guys, you say Santa State, you should never beat uh, Pac-12 teams. Well, I they do all the time. Nice! You know, Got that first win ever against UCLA. Snapped the losing streak against Arizona. I think they're like six and two in their last eight games against Pac-12 teams. So it's been like, going. It's been going well for them and yeah. the whole Mountain West. Actually. So I was like, eh, yeah. okay. So I'm sure they're not jumping up and down. I mean, they're beating. They think, well, great, we won that game. Now we got a tougher game this week. DJ and PK, Riley Jensen, College Football Insider. We'll hit him with the question coming up at the top of the hour. And Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com at eight thirty. And we come back. I, I got to throw something out there that I just don't get, and I need people to explain it to me because I don't understand it. Why anybody would do this is beyond me. Laying it on thick. Can't wait to find out what That's it the is. the truth. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. James Empey, what happens in that locker room? You guys come off the field. Uh, kind of take us through. Do you sit and wait? Does Kalani come in? Like, who's addressed and how does that go? Coach addressed us, you know, talked about players that had a big game. We recognized all the coordinators, both A-Rod and E and Coach Lamb on special teams just for their role and having us prepared and then just had a dance party and it was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Are you dancing or are you just kind of like everybody else do their thing. We got to watch E-Dance and A-Rod dance and all those guys. And uh, then I think we finished with the electric slide, so that was a, that was a blast. <laughs> there you go. You Hanson and Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK in the morning is proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. All right, PK, you had a teaser before the break. And when you talk like that, I'm curious what it was that cracked you up or amazed you, because I don't believe you're genuinely befuddled. Oh, oh right. I'm totally befuddled. I did not get infuriated out of that. You seemed more well, mystified. Amazed. Maybe not infuriated. Yeah, infuriated. mystified was where I thought. Yeah. Okay, that's accurate. You're right. 
uh, mystified. There's no question I'm mystified why anybody would do this. And I need people to get on our app and tell me why in a crap you would do this because this makes zero sense to me. There is no way I would do it under any circumstance. Absolutely not. Complete and total non-starter. And I don't even have a, a union representing me. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like the vaccine. They say you oh, should be the, the players, the, the, yeah, yeah. the unions and non-starters. So they negotiated it out. So I don't know. On Tuesdays, I go out and play this little men's league at, at River Oaks. Oh, man, I was, I, was, I was kicking butt yesterday, man. If I could do that. On fire, birdie machine. I had one. We just we walked nine. Takes about 90 minutes. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I've been doing it with the same guys for years. And, uh, yeah, I, I was one over. I just... Uh, and I and I and they do this thing. You win. You win pro shop. Uh, you don't win money, but you win. Uh, value like a gift certificate or a value inside. Right. Spend in the pro shop. Yeah. So you get for, essentially if you play well, you get freebies in the pro shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they have things called skins and deuces. And the, if you win a skin, you get a certain amount of pro shop money. Uh, but you got to have the lowest score on the hole. A lot of times people people tie. But if you get a deuce which is a two, most likely a birdie on a par three. Even if there's 20 people, you still get some. All right. And I did and I did knock in a bird, and then I had another one on the, the, the following par three that we both, well, the guys I was with, we thought it was in, and it just lipped out, man. I screamed out the S word when it didn't go. That'd be suck. Uh, but nevertheless, it was a fun time. But the guy's telling me while we're playing, he's telling me that there's some play back in town. Uh, and he said uh, a friend of his wife's called and said, hey, do you want to go? She was interested. He said, but the tickets, one ticket to go see this play, this Hamilton thing, something or other, one ticket, $400. There is no, no way. way I would pay $400 to go see a play. And would you I pay, believe you pay $400 to go see anything. Would you pay four hundred dollars to go see Arizona State in a Rose Bowl? No. Would you pay four? Have you ever paid four hundred dollars for a concert? You're a concert guy. You go to a lot of concerts. Going one tonight. But you never paid four hundred bucks. Four hundred bucks. Four hundred bucks to go no, to anything. No, because the problem with that hours. is it's eight hundred. So you'd pay two hundred, two of you for four hundred, but not one of you. Is that what you're getting? Right, at? I don't want to pay eight hundred because you're right. I get it. You're not going somewhere by yourself, and you and your wife are going to go. I've been to one concert. No, actually, I've been to two by myself. You were on the road. Yeah, just killing time. Yeah, had great times, but yeah, exactly, right. So I'd have to pay double. You know, that's why that six or seven hundred four hundred bucks at Pebble Beach is enticing, but it'd be fourteen hundred bucks. So it's not enticing enough. <laughs> and then I got some ding-dongs around town who text me, yeah, I'm on the third hole of uh, Pebble Beach. It's really nice. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> I've had that multiple times. Hilton Head's really nice. It's a golf haven. You should come. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin, obvious. How much does it cost? I don't know. It's for free. <laughs> <laughs> People making millions getting stuff for free. Yes. Uh, but for them. Th- how could you possibly... Pay four hundred dollars to go see this play, and you're, I believe you're asking, you know you're asking the wrong there's person. There's no right? true hardcore sports fan right now. Any guy or no, I want a guy. Any guy listen to us? 
if you would pay $400 or have paid $400 to go see this play, I want you to identify yourself and tell me how could you possibly do that? There is no way I could fork over that kind of cash to go watch some singing and dancing on stage. <laughs> zero, zero, zero. And the Corner Canyon basketball coach agrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Because my wife was telling me she just happened to have it be in a conversation yesterday. She's telling it, yeah, it's some play, but my husband always says, if they're singing and dancing, I'm, I don't want to go. And he says, man, I like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> totally against the Never singing met and me. The dancing. <laughs> yeah, but that's all these plays are. They're just singing and dancing. Well, that, this oh, one. all is singing Hamil- and dancing? I Hamil- know the high school thing. Hamilton is history, too, but I get your point. They're singing. Are they singing and dancing? They are singing and dancing. Well, they don't actually, they don't dance that much. They sing. But there's not a lot of dancing going on. Well, they ain't singing any songs I like, any songs I can understand. It ain't. Today's country or classic rock, and if it ain't in those two categories, wait, 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 I don't wait, wait. want it. Open your mind, I've been told. Open your mind to new things. And I did. And now it's <laughs> shut again. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that's enough of the new stuff. And I'm going to see John Party tonight. I'm open. I like his You're music. Open to country music. Today's, which is just basically pop. It's like, I love Old Dominion, and I'm going to go see them in November. Well, all they are is just today's version of the Eagles. My Eagles when I was growing up. Now I got these guys. It's the same thing. I'll give you that one. That's yeah. pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. But this, how could you possibly pay $400? I want to hear one person justify $400 to go watch some strangers up there singing and dancing. And you got to get all dressed up, too. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. That sounds like torture. It's like paying 400 bucks to go to church. <laughs> Depending on the tithe, PK. <laughs> Depending on the on the what? The tithe. Oh, tithe. I thought you said ties. No, the tithe. The tithe? There, there are probably people out there, they're entrepreneurs. And I want my money back from my tithing. I paid it, and now you did something with it I didn't like. Give me my money back. Entrepreneurs. That's fresh, as fresh as today's fresh news, as today's, I was. I was about to say that. Was, <laughs> you took it right. Fresh as today's headlines. Yeah, there's some entrepreneurs near BYU Lone Peak who, uh, you know, live a stone's throw from the church. You're like, mm, I pay 400 bucks a week when I go there. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, but that's a privilege. Because at ten percent, if you're paying four hundred bucks a week, you're making four thousand dollars a week. So Not on. You're rolling pretty good there. Yeah, Jeez. that's why you live near BYU Lone Peak. Holy <laughs> freak! That kind of cash. I didn't, I didn't put you out near the new Cedar Valley High, did I? No, I put you near BYU Lone Peak. Man alive! Who would possibly pay four hundred dollars to go sit there dressed up for two hours and watch somebody sing and dance? Well, I don't get apparently it. Apparently, a couple thousand people because that thing usually sells out. I don't get it. All right, DJ and PK, there you go. Riley Jensen, college football insider, joins us next. Has BYU arrived under Kalani? Ryan Abraham, publisher and owner of USCFootball.com at eight thirty. Stay with us. Football Fridays are presented by Stonehaven Dental at Stonehaven Dental. They say yes. Yes to free exams and x-rays for new patients and flexible appointments. Yes to great dental care. Visit StonehavenDental.com to schedule an appointment. A lot of people weighing in, PK, on the question of the day. How could you possibly pay 400 bucks? 
That is not the question of the day. <laughs> I did get this uh, from one of our former bosses. Uh, tell PK I will pay for his ticket to Wicked. <laughs> Donate it to charity and then try to get your money back. <laughs> oh, uh, Jill says, I wanted to see Hamilton when I was in Seattle. Tickets there were up to like $2,000. Oh, come on. And then the emoji with the eyebrows and the big eyes, like $2,000. Who would pay that? Uh, rich people in Seattle. To go right. see singing and dancing. Well, well I don't know. We're talking about rich people. I, don't know I they, get that. I don't know if they uh, actually sold for that or that's just what they were asking. You know, life is a negotiation when you go on those websites. I'm talking about the common Joe like me. The common Joe isn't paying Son 400 bucks. Son of a bucks. janitor. The common Joe isn't paying 400 bucks to do anything. Common Joe isn't sitting courtside at NBA games. Those tickets are well past 400 bucks. All right, DJ and PK, it is time to bring in our college football insider, Riley Jensen. He is on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Riley, good morning. What's up, fellas? Question of the day. Has the BYU program arrived under Kalani Sataki? Ooh, that would be a dangerous thing for anybody to say about any part of their life, right? Like, say, saying saying I'm arrived, uh, that I've arrived as an athlete, that's like when everything starts slipping out of your hands. Now, do do I think they're moving in the right direction? Yes. Do I feel like... That was a big win for the program and for Kalani Sataki. Yes. Do I feel like this can build confidence moving into other big games for BYU? No question about it. But if you if you think that you've arrived, who that that's that's just a scary thought, right? There's always something to improve. There's always something to tweak. There's always something to grow and to learn from. Of course, with the exception me being me, who's a completely and totally arrived as a sports talk show host. But other than that, you know, I can see where you're going. But at the same time, why? why well, not everybody's not everybody's elite, Patrick. Right, back I mean, to that. That was, that was a phrase, you know, the word we used a couple weeks ago or something, right? What was it, it was. It was. We beat that into I the don't ground. I remember why, but now that he says that, I remember that we did do that. Right, well, right. Okay, but is this program now capable of winning eight, nine, ten games and be within reason of thinking, all right, that's going to happen, and in a down season be six and six, seven and five. We'll give you that the occasionally. I mean, the Utes had that a few years back when Huntley was a sophomore, uh, and I think he got hurt that season or something, and so they went seven and five, if I remember. But yet, then they follow it up with a couple of South uh, first place and go to the, the title game. And so we've established Utah. In a sense, we think they've at least arrived. To, you know, there's the levels of, of arrivement. And their arrivement is <laughs> – quit looking at me that way. Their arrivement is you know, they're going to win eight, nine games virtually every year. Do you think BYU's at that point? Well, I certainly think with with the schedule that they have right now, like my thought process is is way different compared to when the season started, right? Like you're looking at Arizona State game, you know, you're looking at the BYU game and you're and you're like excuse me, at the Utah game and you're just like, Wow, I don't know I don't I don't 
I don't know where all these wins are going to come from that everybody's talking about, but you, you win against the University of Utah. You win against Arizona. If you go and win this weekend against Arizona State, all of a sudden, what game do they play in where you don't feel like that they have a chance to win or to be a favorite? And I think to answer your question in a long way there, teams that win not eight, nine games a year with a good season with 10-win or 11-win seasons, they're in every game, and you don't feel like you're out of any game that you play in. And so that becomes exciting for, for a BYU fan perspective and from – I guess the arrival, since we're using that word, or the arrivement, as you would say, <laughs> just, <laughs> like really, really, um, you're in every game. And so this this is where it gets hard emotionally for BYU fans, right, is, is where now the expectations start to rise a little bit, that every game that you play in, you, you think you could win, and it comes down to four or five plays in every game, and whether you execute on those four or five plays and you don't know which four or five plays those are going to be. And then if you lose, you just feel terrible because you're like, oh my gosh, it came down to like three plays and we weren't ready for those three plays. Whereas before it was like, well, we were outmatched. You know, we played out of our head. A couple of plays didn't fall our way. When the expectations get a little bit higher, it becomes a little bit more difficult. But that also means that you have a lot better program and a lot better team. And right now, I, I mean, look, to lose Zach Wilson, start out the season 2-0 and with a win over your rival, uh, things are going in the right direction for BYU. There's no question. Well, I like what you said about arrived because I totally buy that. When you think you've arrived in anything, that's when you're in trouble. And if you want to put arrived at can they average eight or nine wins, yeah, I think they can do that. That's no longer crazy talk. That's right in front of them. you got to go do it, and they haven't. But if you had to bet... I actually think it comes down to two choices. Is it more likely that the roller coaster continues, or is it more likely that they are averaging eight or nine wins and people come calling for Kalani at schools that look at eight or nine wins and think, that would be awesome, which is how Virginia looked at Bronco. That would be awesome. And they came and got him. Double and triple the money, right? I think the more likely scenario for BYU is that Kalani wins and people come calling. Either way, it'll be a problem for BYU, but I think that's the way it's more likely to break. You agree? Oh, I, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Kalani's name's up for USC. I mean, I, look, mm-hmm. they, you have to look at what Kalani's done in an independent era with the recruiting that he's done, with the ability that and, – and there are some limitations to BYU. I think they're a little bit overplayed, but there are some. I think you have to recognize that there's some limitations – but it would not surprise me at all if big schools come and knock on Kalani's door, and then it's going to be up to Kalani to decide what he wants to do. Is he going to is he going to go the Lavelle Edwards route and and have lots of offers all the time and just say, look, this is where I love to be, this is what I like to do, or is it to make a choice to to have transformational money for his family and take care of generations to come because he can go to a USC or he can go to a a, a different program, and those are. Those are decisions that Kalani will have to make. I think it would have to be a really good job for Kalani to leave. But I also think, I mean, you just got to give you got to give a lot of credit to him. I mean, these players love to play for him. They play hard. People in the program are are playing hard right now, and I think he's recruited very well. And I also think he's allowed some of his coaches to coach. I think if you if you look at the game on Saturday, 
I mean, Aaron Roderick and his play calling, they basically out Utah Utah. And, and uh, on offense, they didn't turn the ball over. They were highly efficient on offense. They kept with the running game, and they kept running and kept running until until Utah broke. And there's very few teams that I can think of over the last 10 years in the Kyle Whittingham era that have been able to break Utah down to where they've been able to keep running the ball and keep running the ball and keep running the ball. And then, you know, in the trenches on the offensive line and the defensive line, I mean, they looked like a University of Utah team. They just kept coming in waves. The offensive line was was big and heavy, and they were laying on you. And it was just interesting to see them out Utah, Utah. Now, that was the exact game plan that Kyle has used for years to win that was used against Utah to beat them. You probably have noticed this too, but one thing that I've been able to see in through conversations is the amount of allegiance and loyalty that his assistants have to him is as good or better than any staff I've ever known. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, look, I don't, I don't think Kalani is the type of guy that is constantly in people's ears and constantly saying, dude, why did you do that? It's just not even really his personality type. Now, look, just because a coach is that way doesn't mean that that's a bad thing because, you know, the way I look at it, these these guys are all running a ship, right? And and if Kalani's going to run the ship the way he wants to, then Kyle can run the ship the way he wants to. And if the ship goes down, you want it to be because of your choices. But the way Kalani chooses to run it and the way Kalani decides, has decided to treat his assistant coaches is to allow them to be themselves, to allow them to put their own little signature on what they're doing, and then really let them run with it. And look, if there's problems, I'm sure that there's conversations, but I don't think those conversations are taking place in the middle of the game. And so for me, you know, if you're, if you're Aaron Roderick, you really like to coach for Kalani because there's nobody chirping in your ear, throwing you out of your rhythm as you're calling plays. And I don't care who talks about it or, or how it's talked about, but to be an offensive coordinator, there's a rhythm that takes place. And when people and when people are chirping in your ear, when there's distractions going on and you're not able to be in that rhythm, it's really difficult to call a game the way you want to play it. And I just I really like the way Aaron Roderick has called plays the last two years. And look, I know I know we're probably gonna give John Beck credit again for, you know, for Jaron Hall's performance, but after a while, you're going to have to start saying, "Gal, who's the offensive coordinator that's putting these quarterbacks in situations in practice and then allowing them to like play to the best of their ability in the games? Who's the coach that's actually preparing them during the week so they can play really well on Saturdays? And, and right now, to me, you, you've got to tip your hat to Aaron Roderick in the way that they're playing offensive football. And, and look, it's not complicated, but there are some nice little wrinkles. I I loved the touchdown play call to uh, Samson Nakua where you drop back for a minute and then it's a controlled rollout to the left and they throw a little out pattern to Samson Nakua. I mean, that was, that was a nice wrinkle on the goal line. And you don't come up with that play unless you saw something on the goal line that indicated that you could run a play like that. And that was, that was ingenuitive. That was, that was creative. That was imaginative, in my opinion. Ingenuitive. Uh, I think it was ingenuitive. Yeah. Listen, listen. You know, 
not everybody has come to the level of arrivement. That, that <laughs> <I've seen. laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, the only thing I'll, I'll disagree with you on is I can't believe Kalani would be up for the USC job right now because jobs like that, they don't want to hear that you are arriving and it's a sports talk radio discussion. They want to see it on paper, in black and white, on the scoreboard. Yeah, th- this coach has won 30 games in three years. Or Yeah, and Pete Carroll was their fourth choice. Right. So NFL fair, guy. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't think USC is always getting the guys they want. But That's true. To me, when I think about the USC job, I do think that one of the one of the boxes that Kalani checks is an ability to connect with people and with boosters and with media. That maybe that's that was the weakness of Clay Helton. Because by all accounts, Clay Helton's a super nice guy, right? Yeah. But maybe just not as charismatic. And maybe just not as um, pleasing to the boosters and to the crowds and to to what the USC, I don't know, whatever their whatever they want it to look like at their program. That's that's something that I can see Kalani fitting into. Now you're right. I mean, they're going to go after some other people first, but who's to say that they don't circle around and go, "Cow, here's a guy who's winning games with an independent schedule." who's been recruiting and, and recruiting well to BYU, what could he do recruiting to USC? What could he do for our fan base to get us excited? I think he checks a lot of boxes. And so I, I'm not saying that – I'm not trying to stir the pot. I'm not trying to get BYU fan, like, up, upset or up in arms. But I do think that there are going to be opportunities for Kalani that maybe other coaches in the past didn't have because – Let's let's be honest. He has he has a likable personality, and in in this day and age, it's important that you hire people that you like to be around. And so these ads sometimes they they want to they want to be around people that they like to talk to. It's only one game, and I don't want to go crazy. But and his offensive line was not very good. But I'm talking about Brewer, and I thought, man, if he's got time, he's going to pick you apart. But when the play breaks down. In the one game, I didn't see much. Now, I can't go crazy on one game, particularly when it's up to the guys up front to provide him time. But I'm wondering, what do you think about him when the pocket breaks down? Yeah, I, well, first of all, in, in fairness to Charlie Brewer, no quarterback's very good when the pocket breaks down. <laughs> I, mean, there's, I mean, you look at Tom Brady. I mean, that's been the thing that everybody tries to say in the NFL. They're like, oh, he's not very good when the pocket breaks down. Well, then don't let the pocket break down and watch him take you to the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Um, everybody's passing percentage goes down. Every, I think Charlie, uh, Charlie has some really good skills, and I really like his eyes, and I really like the way that he plays when, when he's in a rhythm. I felt like BYU kept him out of rhythm all night, and I think, you know, he airmailed he air the last fourth down throw, but I think that's because he was starting to. I think he was starting to see ghosts. I think he was starting to feel a little bit of the pressure of, man, I have to make all these plays on my own. Now, will the offensive line for Utah get better? No question about it. Will Charlie Brewer get better? I think he will. I do think, and and I think that I would have liked to have seen a little bit more toughness or a little bit more urgency to make some plays when things were breaking down a little bit. But so there's something, there's something that I'm feeling that this is the same as you, Patrick, because you bring up this question is like was okay was that all offensive line or was there something there that was missing in the in the toughness of like 
finishing this play and like really trying to make a play. And look, I played quarterback for a team. I got sacked 10 times in one game at Washington. And um, I'm going to be defensive for quarterbacks for a minute. But I also felt like that, that, that part of those sacks were on me sometimes, right? Like part of it was like, I need to be tougher. I need to figure out how to get out of this jam or I need to learn how to throw the ball away before that, before those guys get to me. And, and I got better as, as the season progressed, but it's not easy when you're feeling pressure. And uh, look, quarterbacks are really good when it's seven on seven. The ones that, that kind of separate themselves from everybody else are guys that can make those plays when everything isn't perfect. And I think that's why, you know, if we want to flip the script a little bit, I think that's why I'm impressed with Jaron Hall, right? Like he could have been jumpy. He could have been antsy. He could have ran all over the field and tried to make plays with his feet all night. But he stayed in the pocket when he was supposed to, and he used his feet when he was supposed to. And I thought, I thought he played a masterful game on Saturday. And I think because of his maturity and because of the things that he's doing, I, I, I can see BYU winning a lot of games this year. Well, Riley, there is a lot more to talk to you about, but we're going to have to leave it right there for now. We'll talk to you again next week. Are you picking BYU to win? I am. I'm, I'm picking all in-state schools to win this week. Ooh, I, there I, it is. I, Your Aggies are big I underdogs at Air Force. I know. Okay. I know. But there's a, different, there's a different enthusiasm, and I think this Rice kid at Utah State, this, this middle linebacker, is a great quarterback for that defense. He's got guys in the right spots and, and playing fast, at least. And so I know it's a crazy matchup, but I think this offense can actually outscore Ooh. Air Force. The Aggies going 3-0. and Who do you like to be the coach at the Utah State next year after Blake Anderson? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Really? Really? That, that's the So quick we, to put Kalani yeah. on a, another job, nobody but Blake Anderson, State no, he's a lifer in Logan. Come on! <laughs> Nobody's reached that level of arrivement yet at USU. Stop it. Thank you, Riley. Love you guys, man. Thank you. Ryan Abraham, USCfootball.com. Can the Trojans hold it together with an interim coach? They still got to play the Utes and the Cougars. And... Who's at the top of the list on the coaching search? We'll talk with Ryan coming up. Interim coach who played in our backyard. DJ and PK, 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. James Empey. What happens in that locker room? You guys come off the field. Uh, kind of take us through. Do you sit and wait? Does Kalani come in? Like, who's addressed and how does that go? Coach addressed us, you know, talked about players that had a big game. We recognized all the coordinators, both A-Rod and E and Coach Lamb on special teams for their role and having us prepared and then just had a dance party and it was a good time. <laughs> Are you dancing or are you just kind of letting everybody else do their thing. We got to watch E-Dance and A-Rod dance and all those guys. And uh, then I think we finished with the electric slide, so that was a, that was a blast. <laughs> there you go. You got Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, we're joined once again by Ryan Abraham, publisher and owner of uscfootball.com. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Ryan, good morning. 
Good morning. It's a uh, silly season in USC football land again. So, uh, <laughs> didn't expect it this early, but here we are. You knew we were calling you. You just didn't know which day, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's, this has been a crazy 48 hours. There's, you know, covering the USC beat, there's been some really insane stories over, you know, over the years. There's just always something nutty going on, and everyone expected – you know, Clay Helton did be fired, especially after seeing the game Saturday night. I just didn't expect it to happen uh, this quickly. But, yeah, yeah, they pulled the trigger and uh, made the move on Monday, and we got to go to a practice with interim head coach Dante Williams yesterday. And uh, one, I, one thing I put on Twitter, if you uh, cover the USC beat, you know how to spell the word interim very well because you can <laughs> use it quite often. So you mentioned Williams. And I want a little information from about him from you. He started with the Seahawks. Now, I'm not talking Seattle, nor am I talking Redondo Union High School. I'm talking <laughs> Harbor College, my old beat in the 90s. That's where he got his start. He's a local guy, but he's got a connection here. He played his college ball at Idaho State. That's basically up the freeway from us. And so he has been around. He's only, I think, 38, 39 years of age. Uh, why him? Yeah, so it's funny. He, he, you know, big Southern California guys, really tied into the high school scene down here. Like you said, you know, Harbor College and stuff. But he goes up to Oregon and gets like a couple times the Pac-12 Recruiter of the Year. It just does a great job up there. USC ends up luring him away when they switch over their defensive staff, and he got the associate head coaching title last year. It's just been USC needed a shot in the arm as far as recruiting goes, especially after that 2020 class. And he was it, and he's just been doing a tremendous job there. Relates with the players extremely well. He's recruited most of the, the roster, if not here. He recruited those kids when he was at Oregon. So I think they just felt that he had to built those relationships with the players and would be a good guy to lead them through. I mean, it's 10 games. It's like a pretty good resume builder for someone that, you know, you're a cornerback's coach, not even like a full secondary coach. Uh, I think that's a great opportunity. We saw other people – take it and run with it when you get that interim job. I don't think he's going to end up being USC's head coach, but uh, it's certainly going to be something that he could put on his resume because the schedule's not that difficult. If they can go out and beat the teams that they should beat, I mean, he could go 8-2 and two or something like that, and that would, uh, that would be a nice feather in his cap. Well, that schedule includes both Utah and then BYU on Thanksgiving weekend in the regular season finale. Do you think they hold it together? Because there have been a couple seasons where they have had the interim coaches and they've been 1-2 and two when they played the Utes and won the game and finished 6-3. and There have also been a couple seasons, one with Lane Kiffin and one with Clay Helton, when, when they couldn't reach their goals, everything just unraveled. And yeah, I don't know, yeah. guys are just playing for the NFL or what, but Lane Kiffin had a 7-6, and six and Clay Helton had a 5-7, and seven, and is there a chance USC's looking at that? Yeah, I think everything's on the table. I mean, the, Mike Bone, the athletic director, said that they're not, like, um, just basically writing off this season. They really want to think that there's uh, you know some opportunities to just go out and win the Pac-12 again. And, uh, but, I mean, those are the key games. I mean, you got to beat BYU, who's got them a – a couple of years ago, obviously, Utah is a huge rival in the South, but they get them in the, the Coliseum. I mean, UCLA looks really good. you got to go on the road and play Notre Dame. So there's definitely some some tough games in there. And, you know, Stanford, I still don't think it's a very good team, and they just throttled USC. So I think it's just getting this team to play together. There was a lot of infighting and stuff going on. If he can galvanize the team, they should be okay. Uh, but it's a lot. I mean, he's going into practice. The day before, you know, we're out there at practice today. Like, and I asked him, "Do you change the practice schedule much?" He's like, "Not really. I mean, they just he just got the job." Uh, but I, yeah, I think 
there's going to be some key games. Uh, you know, can Utah get their first win in the Coliseum? Uh, you know, could BYU do it? You know, let's pull another upset. So those are the ones that people are going to be watching when he's uh, out there coaching. So we don't think that he's going to get the job, right? So obviously there's been all sorts of speculation. We got the fickle connection with the AD, James Franklin, who did, did marvelous work at Vanderbilt and obviously has done very well at Penn State. Those guys came to mind right off the bat, and they've already spoken. They don't want distractions, blah, blah, blah. My guy, who has no distractions, is Chris Peterson. I think they should just throw all the money in the world at him and see if he wants to come back. How about that? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think there's some a couple good options of, of guys that aren't working right now, like Chris Peterson and Bob Stoops, and they're both in Los Angeles for Fox, like at least part of the part of the week, uh, do it covering football. And it's funny, every name that comes up, there's definitely going to be reasons why someone will say he'll never do that or that'll never work, and one of them's going to, you know. So it's it's curious to see, you know, will, will Luke Fickle, you know, leave his cocoon in, in Ohio where he's been his whole career? Is Chris Peterson, you know, done with the retirement stuff? He seems like he's pretty happy with what he's doing. Same thing with Stoops, um, you know, like a James Franklin. That's you know, his big time job there at, at Penn State. Uh, you know, Matt Campbell at, at Iowa State. There's a lot of interesting names. And when you're the athletic director at a place like USC, like your main job, your I mean, priority one, two, and three are hiring the head football coach. And the, the first step was getting an opening and the fans were asking for that for the last few years. Now they have one and now they're going to have to you know, Now they're on stage. Now it's all about them. Who are you going to hire? Uh, we're, we're not sure if he's going to use a search firm. He said he wasn't sure yet, but they have a lot of time, um, you know, to, to kind of figure this out and you want to get it done as early as possible because of the early signing period, but they at least have a head start on anyone else that's out there uh, looking for a head coach. Public schools, we always see what their athletic budgets are and the coaches' salaries and all that. Private schools don't have the same issues with the Freedom of Information Act. What's the ballpark USC pays in? What's the ballpark they're willing to pay in? Because watching these SEC salaries, they're just going through the roof. It is going through the roof, and uh, it's crazy. I think my estimation of what Clay Hilton's buyout is, is it's probably between 12 and $15 million, so that's not cheap uh, either for them to, just to get rid of Clay Hilton. Um, with a couple of years left on his deal, my understanding is he, you know, as far as the tax returns go, I think his salary, Clay Helton's salary, was over five million dollars now. So I think you would at least start there. Uh, but I mean, yeah, does it go up to eight million? I mean, we've never seen something like that uh, out here. So it's uh, it could get a little crazy. They've shown that they've been willing to spend money, uh, you know, to try to get things. You know, the athletic department be a little bit more modern. Like before there was kind of penny pinching around the department i don't know if they've opened up the purse strings a little bit uh at the athletic department but it just seems like they're spending more i mean university's been dealing with a lot of scandals on their own there's been a lot of money coming out so but i i feel they understand that it is important to get the football team right and you can't do it uh just hoping and and having a you know a kind of a budget program so that that will be something interesting to see we might not know all the details until the tax returns come out in a couple of years but that's usually one you can find out for sure with the private schools. But, yeah, it's, that, that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to spend money if they want to play with the big boys. And if they don't, then you can kind of tell, okay, they're not really serious about winning for this football program anymore. What's interesting is they're trying to recapture 
what they had. You know, programs try to do that, and it gets very difficult. You know, I can argue that uh, the Bruins basketball team is the ghost of John Wooden hasn't gone away. Arizona State, the ghost of Frank Cush hasn't gone away. UNLV basketball, the ghost of Jerry Tarkanian hasn't gone away. Now, there's been multiple ghosts at SC, and the latest being Pete Carroll. How long is that going to take, and will that ghost ever go away? And what I mean by can SC get back to what they had because they had it once, like those other schools did, but we're getting like starting to get a distance between that and now makes me wonder how realistic it is. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I think the, the, the fact that there's multiple ghosts is what you have to look at. It's a brand. You know, has, has Texas been all that successful in the last, you know, 10 years, 15 years, basically since USC was really successful? Like, no, but they're still a huge brand because of the history, the fan base tradition and all that. And that's why the SEC would try to take them away. And that's why, it, they, you know, just them leaving the Big 12 would crush the conference. And I think it's the same thing with USC. You just need the right coach. It's a sleeping giant. If you get the a right, you know, good leadership in there, uh, it, you, you're just, it's a blueprint for being successful. And I think USC, you almost have to try to screw USC football up. And that's really what they've done with the athletic directors they've had before. So the hope if you're a USC fan is that, you know, Mike Bowen's the right guy. They're going to go out and make a great hire and just give yourself a much more reasonable chance of success. Not basically before you were hiring someone and hoping that the tradition sort of like dragged them along. Like you want a coach that's going to be driving this bus, not the USC brand driving the bus. And you just hire someone like a Clay Helton that's, that's along for the ride. You know, you don't want someone that's along for the ride. You want someone that's going to control things and take things over. And if they can do that, I think USC can get back on top. So if I offered you USC or the field in the Pac-12 South right now, which one would you take? I'm going field. Uh, you know, I like the way UCLA's playing. I, you know, I, I was a little shocked at the Utah-BYU game because BYU didn't look that great in the, in the opener, but I still think Utah's a formidable opponent. And, you know, Arizona State's a wild card to me because, I mean, any minute, you know, Herm Edwards and I might, might not be there with all the stuff that's going on. But uh, they seem like they're, you know, you're getting through things. They have an easy early part of the schedule. USC's still really talented, but, you know, you've switched head coaches. I just think there's a lot that can go wrong, and they already have a Pac-12 loss, so I'll definitely take the field on that one. USC can win it for sure, but uh, at this point, I'll go field. Their backup quarterback's a local kid, Dart. Uh, I'm assuming, I don't know this, you'd probably know more, that Slovis tries his hand in the NFL. I know they got another four or five star kid, was named Miller, and then uh, probably got some guys in the pipeline. How do you think that shakes out? Yeah, for uh, I like the way Jackson Darts played well. He was named the backup quarterback. Uh, he competed with Miller Moss, who's more of a, a local kid. They got Devin Brown, a 2022 uh, kid who's looked really good, He's throwing like six or seven touchdowns a game, where, you know, where Dart played uh, in high school. So there's there's some interesting um, developments there, but I don't know as far as, like, because they're picking a new head coach, is Graham Harrell going to be around? Graham and uh, Keaton are tight. You know, I, I think Slovis would go, but if he doesn't have a great rest of the year, maybe he wants to stay. Uh, Dart's also pretty tight with Graham Harrell. So there, I think there's going to be a shakeup, obviously, with a new head coach. And the way Graham Harrell's – the offense hasn't really been performing that well. So I think before – he would have been someone that you thought a new coach would want to keep unless the offense turns things around. I mean, scoring 23 points a game is not going to, you know, not going to cut it in college football nowadays. And that's what they've been doing. So 
Um, I think the quarterback room is going to be affected by who the coaches are because those you know, those guys have pretty close ties. Well, Ryan, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again as the Utah-USC game approaches. That should be a really good one. Yeah, I can't wait. And uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Ryan Abraham, you can read him at uscfootball.com. He's been on the show a lot, follows it closely. You would take the field over USC right now, wouldn't you? That's so early to say. I know. It's Sports Talk Radio. We're built on sand. We'll have a new opinion in two weeks. I thought he hit on it. First off, there's you got multiple chances if you take the field, and USC already has a loss. Well, that's big. They've already had a loss, yeah. Right. But at the same time, you easily can win it with one loss. All you got to do is... You may well be able to win it with somebody's two. Somebody's going to have to go undefeated. Right. You may well be able to win it with two. Seven and two has won this division yeah, one, before. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 I they love lost this to a northern it, team, so it's not like they lost a tiebreaker there. Right. I always enjoy... Well, you know, the goal is to win all our games, and then you lose one. Well, it doesn't affect us in conference, and then you lose the first one. Well, we still, you know, all we got to do, they're going to lose a game. You know, you just start checking off goals. The go tide's down, down, coming down. in. The tide's uh, coming in. You just drop back and build a new sandcastle. Every coach does that every year, and Kyle did it Saturday night. Oh, this doesn't affect any of our goals. You know, our goals still go to the Rose Bowl. Okay, well, what happens when you get – three losses or two losses, uh, you know, it gets more difficult. Or when you get eliminated, then it becomes bowl eligible. And, yep. And you hope your program doesn't get down to bowl it's eligible. deep in November and you're striving for bowl eligibility. Now, if you're Arizona, you hope that. You hope you have a shot. Obviously, they're in a different situation right now. Three or four years, they probably won't be. But they all, all coaches do that, and they check off their goals uh, that way. And when they lose the first game, if it's a non-conference game, and even a conference game, that wasn't devastating by any stretch. It's just that, uh, you know, if they would have – I wonder if Helton would have got fired if the Cardinal didn't look like garbage against Kansas State and the loss against Stanford was closer. But you combine, wait a second, they got like 34 to 7 or something was the score? 24 to 24 7. 24 to yeah. 7. And they obviously were not effective against Kansas State. And then they turn around and just blow you out. That was, the sh- that was a double shocker. You know, and if Stanford had been 2 and 0 and ranked 10, might have played differently. But that's only going to play one way in LA. They got. They got totally humbled by K State, and then just came in and dominated. Right, so you. I know. So they're part of the reason he gets fired is because Stanford looked crappy against Kansas State. Doesn't really make any sense. If they look better, if they had won the game the other way, if they had won twenty four to seven, then it, 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 it wasn't doesn't about, really affect it wasn't SC. About, it wasn't about the one game. They wanted him out, and that was well, the excuse. No, and that the but reason, that, right excuse. <laughs> everything was there, but it happened the way it happened. So it was the in a sense it was the one game, the one game was going to come. But what what, what game was it going to be? What does it yeah. mean? Because we were talking about going. I, I think I might have said to uh, Yach sitting next to me down at the press box stadium that this is the coaches getting fired game. Didn't I say that to you? Yes, you did. Yeah. I remember that. Right. Because Shaw looked like, okay, they, they've not been trending well. It was like the dead man walking. Yeah, and because he, he was sitting right next to me in the press box, and he had it on his it's iPad like, there. It's like an elimination game for coaches. Yeah. Whoever lost it wasn't going to be able to explain all this stuff away. 
Yeah, I, I didn't think it was going to be essentially the next day. Yeah, I felt like Shaw would have been able to get away with it a little easier than Helton would have, but it still was something you can't explain readily. Right, and sure enough, it happened there. But I don't know, the point being, that it's long-lasting that these who the Tro- this is who the Trojans are this season. I'm not willing to just trash them just yet. They lost. They sucked. No doubt about it. But at the same time, what does that mean for the rest of the season? I can't say. I can guess, and I can say, sure, I'm going to take the field. No doubt about it. But who is the field? The other five teams in the South. Okay, well, but that, but four, the only one of them is going to win it. Right. So who's going to win it? Don't tell me the field. I, don't, I always thought that was a dumb thing. When there's only, in golf, the field. Okay, but you can't predict who's going to win golf from so week to the field. week. Right, but the <laughs> yeah. field is enormous. Right. Here, the field is four teams. Yep. I don't want to know that any of those four teams are going to win. I want to know who you think is going to win of those four teams if you don't think it's SC. And obviously it's not Arizona because they need time to reload. DJ PK. Don't give me the field. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. After a disappointing loss in the Holy War, the Utes look to rebound as they hit the road to square off against an old Mountain West Conference rival in San Diego State. Catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 4 with a postgame show immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's Wednesday. It's a win tickets Wednesday. One of Rock's old-time legendary bands, or as it says here, legionary bands, Legendary bands KISS returns to Salt Lake City for the rescheduled End of the Road Tour. KISS will bring a stellar night of entertainment. Playing all the KISS classics from 1974 to the current day. Don't miss your chance to see the legends on stage. Tickets are available at LiveNation.com. And we've got a pair of tickets right now for caller number 12 at 855-340-ZONE. 855-340-ZONE. That's 855-340-9663. Right now. Caller 12. Beth, I hear you calling, but I can't come home tonight. Me and the boys are, you know. Me and the boys will be playing playing. all night. Rock and roll can be painful. The simple pleasures of life. <laughs> Yuck. In the, there it is. Yuck. In the early days of the show, I don't know what was going on, but in the middle of the show, I must have said something that reminded him of some lyric, and he just broke into song at 150 decibels, and jet planes take off at like 94 decibels or something. And it scared me. I yelped on the air. And I got, an, I got a text from his wife. I know, DJ. He does that in the car when we're driving on the freeway. Well, just a few more hours, and I'll be right home to you. I think I hear... Oh, Beth! 
what, what can I do? Beth! What can I do? He's got a dilemma. He's like, Beth! What am I supposed to be doing? I gotta be here, but I know you want me, and I want you. I mean, it... What a conflict right there. How do you solve that? You can't be in two places at once, but you need to be. Because Beth is there. But I'm telling you, when he gets home to Beth... Oh, baby. The night the lights went out in Georgia. Oh, oh, Beth! Oh, Beth! Beth, what can I do? Dun, dun, dun! Oh, yeah. You can get in the dead car and get home, dude. Band's going to break up anyway. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, the question of the day. Have the Cougars arrived under Kalani Satake? We will get to that next. Stay with us. The Utah RV Super Show is back at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy, September 16th through the 19th. Join the big show Thursday and Friday from 2 to 7 p.m. and see the newest technology and latest trends in RVs. Question of the morning. Has the BYU football program arrived under Kalani Satake? That's Satake. Satake. Say it authentically. It's like, it's not Beyonce. It's Beyonce. Yes, Sporty McTweedy says at Mike Baller 45. Yes, it's the premier program in the state now and going forward. Oh, I would stay in the entire West. Michael says, ha ha, one win in 10 years doesn't make you the premier. Is it ha ha or ha ha? Ha ha! It could be ha ha! Ha ha! Because you have Lady Gaga, Gaga and Lady Gaga. And Kaka. Or Kaka. Kaka, yes. Right, but why isn't it Gaga? You never really know. Tomato, tomato, right, potato, so potato. Lady Gaga and Kaka. Or Lady Gaga and Kaka. It's crazy. Has BYU arrived in under Kalani Sataki? And Jordan says, a while ago, yeah. A while ago? Yep. Had never beaten Utah and you'd arrived? Wow. How about raise your standard, buddy boy? That's pretty low. You'd never beaten Utah and you've arrived? Clint says, yeah, about three years ago when they beat number five Wisconsin at home. No, 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 no. You hadn't beaten Utah. You got to beat your rival at least once, don't you? And the Wisconsin win was great, but it launched a seven and six season. That's not arriving. BYU's got a history. And we have people lecturing us on the history of the program. And it's no mystery. But this is under Kalani. It's not about 40 years. No. It's not about what they did under Lavelle. It's what are they doing under Kalani. Yeah, totally. But we got lectured earlier on. Well, yeah, you can look up the Outland Trophy. Stop it. Read the whole question. It's not when they did when Lance Reynolds was the interim head coach after they dumped Croton and hadn't decided. You won't count that error either. They didn't I, actually I, play any games. I don't count that error. <laughs> Largely because of that thing you say about not playing any games. I think they'll never have another losing season under Kalani Satake. Another losing season? But yeah. that doesn't match arrived, does it? Uh, that's, because the BYU that's standard the is above seven. I agree it's on the way. No doubt about that. You want to eliminate the losing season. I mean, they, they, the Utes had two under Kyle Whittingham. Kalani's had one. 
They got to win on the road. That's the thing. That's the missing piece of the puzzle here. Kalani still got Wisconsin. a losing record on the road. That's a good win. Arizona. But he's got a losing record on the road. Even the last three years, even throwing out the first two, and they were two and five on the road in that disastrous four win season. But they're nine and eight over the last three years. You're just holding the Coastal Carolina loss against them. No. I'm not fully giving them credit for all those UMass wins. <laughs> it's not just Coastal Played Carolina. Played in NFL Stadium. Right. Right. What does that mean? They exactly. beat him. Do you realize UMass had Andy Isabella? The what? Huh? Andy Isabella? I don't remember Andy Isabella. NFL receiver, doggy. All right. One NFL player. All right. They were terrible. It was a horrible game. But, but Andy Isabella? Keep saying his name. Guy can fly. That would be awesome. What a skill. NFL scouts would totally make you the number one pick. If, well, if you true. can jump out of the gym, you can fly. True story. Right. If you can jump out of the gym, you should be the number one pick, too. Eh, it ain't about jumping, though. <laughs> you just swore over Rudy Gobert. Throw it down. Every shot would be goaltending. <laughs> you got to win at home, sure. You got to win on the road, sure. Yeah, you got to win. You just, you just got to win. I was surprised Kyle, uh, I saw that, is talking about that the crowd noise. I think we may be underestimating uh, the Ute guys that played last year, and it wasn't a real season. Didn't so have they, crowds. Yeah, they weren't in any form of environment. Nope. Empty stadiums. You could hear everything. Now, that'll be the most intimidating environment they'll play in all season. Well, they're not going to Oregon, so I don't know what's the next most intended. USC, I guess. But the thing is so large, and they don't ever come close to selling out. Yeah. Against the Utes. I know they get the fiercest rival ever, <laughs> but it won't even be close to a sellout. Especially if SC loses again between now and then. Are you kidding? There'll be maybe 30,000 people there. In a 100,000-seat stadium, that's nothing. It's not a 100,000-seat stadium anymore. They downgraded that, baby. Yeah, they ate up a lot of seats when they built that massive, whatever they call it's it. It's still 80, 90. And you count the horse. I mean, that counts. <laughs> it's a plus one. <laughs> so. that, would, that would be awesome. Sitting in the press box, and then the, the PA announces in the press box, announces the attendance, and you just yell from the other end, does that include the horse? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, come on. Tyson says it certainly feels like they've turned a corner. Well, if you're going on 13-1 and in the last 14 games, that'd be hard to argue. Oh, I definitely That's the upside think they right there. Corner. They're not going to have a losing season again under Kalani Satake. But is that good enough? I believe that to be true. Well, they're not going to run out a string of seven and sixes. Can they win nine games this year and ten next year? And have 30 wins in three years? I mean, I don't even know what their schedule is next year. So um, I know there's a lot less P5s, but I have to see how many oh. good G5s they have because those yeah. teams can be good. Uh, they win Saturday. They've got an excellent chance at nine wins. Most definitely, they've got a chance at nine wins this season. I think you would agree on that, too. I do. I think they already have a good shot at nine wins. I thought the three hardest games on paper, which is always risky, but that's all we've got to go on in August, especially when camps are closed everywhere to everybody except ASU. Utah, ASU, USC, those were the three games. Yeah, those are the three games that look like the hardest games on paper. 
I think now for a team that hasn't won on the road, you got to go to Baylor and Washington State on consecutive weeks. How's that going to work out? Are the Broncos going to get them? Probably shouldn't be taking that for granted just because you've won two years in a row and worked them on the blue turf last year. There's other tough games in there. But they're at the point now where if they split those tough games, that'll get to 9-3. and three. So you got them at 9-3? and three. Wow, man. You got them at 9-3, and three, you got them at 8-4 and four still. Because you had them at 8-4, ha- but you had them at 8-4 losing to Utah. I'm going to stick by my prediction. I'm not going to okay. change my prediction. One loss, one win. That's not much of a predict- prediction if you're changing it yep. after one loss or one win. No, I'm It was a big firm. win, but it was home. And a lot of the challenges have been on the road. And I had two really good road wins last year. The, the comeback at Houston, they're in a little bit of trouble. They were wobbling there in the second half and finished strong. That was good. And obviously, blowing out the Broncos, that was big time. That was a really good win. Sure, but I don't count it as a full win in terms of uh, full Empty co- stadium, funky total season. conditions. Yeah. That was nice, but everybody was playing it, so it, it counts. But it's just like I said with Utah, all their young guys – had never played in anything close to any any environment like that. Had yep. never... And we heard when we had Nick Ford on, he talked about the miscoms, the miscommunications. Yeah. You're trying to adjust the blocking scheme. Somebody doesn't hear it, so they don't adjust. Guy comes free, blows up play. Right. And Utah's going to face a similar environment down in Carson this Saturday. Similar to what? <laughs> the Ed. What we had in Provo. Similar to the hornet's nest that is oh, Dignity Sports Health Park, whatever you they call it. You walk down the streets of Carson. You know what it reminds you of? I've walked the streets of Carson. There it is. You haven't. I haven't. <laughs> I've driven to that stadium. I've been That's to Carson it. High. I've been to Dominguez Hills. No, I haven't. I've been to uh, Linwood. Linwood. Yeah. <laughs> It's a random place. <laughs> High school play basketball game. We we're broadcasting. That's a random place. Yeah. <laughs> Linwood. I know, but I'm just like, all the high schools in L.A. County I've been to, I'm trying to think if there's another one. I don't know that. <laughs> I don't I really have any reason to go to L.A. high school games. I could have just you could been have taken a lot hours of, yeah. and I wouldn't have gotten Linwood. <laughs> I think it was a section quarterfinal game. It was a big deal. So I was in Santa Barbara when we went down and did a game. Uh, okay. And there it is. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> that caught you off guard. Yeah. Oh, well, I never would have uh, guessed that. Uh, Furthermore, I would. Ha- I couldn't find Linwood uh, today. I just <laughs> right over there by Whittier. <laughs> Which, of course, you know Whittier is the home and of Karen and Richard Carpenter. I think of it as the home of Richard Nixon. No. Oh, heck no. He's from Whittier. He went to Whittier College. I don't care, but not. Going to Whittier College doesn't make you He's not from, from Whittier. Whittier. True, true story. Karen and Richard, they're from Whittier. <laughs> That's good. Richard Nixon is from Yorba Linda, and yes. I know that because I have family from right. Yorba Linda. Right. Dope. <laughs> Nearby Yorba Again, Linda. Again. I happen to marry into that family. You don't give us true facts. I give you true facts. <laughs> Karen and Richard Carpenter quoted are, a former producer. Look, are from the town and community of Whittier. That is a fact. It all began in Whittier. Bradford says, getting there, but not quite arrived yet. Can't keep the Arizonas of the world in the ball game and say we've arrived. Oh, beating Arizona isn't good enough? you got to blow them out. Is that going to be a turn into a classic? 
they had confidence, they had false confidence, and once they lost it, they had a terrible season. Arizona, you're speaking yeah. of? Well, I mean, right now I could argue that uh, San Jose State's better than BYU. I don't know that, but if you're just going to go on, well, we hammered them and you somewhat struggled. It's so early that it's silly to do, but we do it anyway. And so who's yeah. to say when we don't look back next uh, in December that San Jose State dominated well, the Mountain West? And I think if you... If, if you win the Mountain West, you're a good football program. I don't care what level you want to call it. If you win the Mountain West, you're a good football program. If you dominate the Mountain West, you're probably a really good football program. And who's to say that they don't do that? I don't know. They haven't even played a conference game yet. Uh, but they looked awesome early on Saturday night. They did. They just blew out the crappiest team in the conference. But it is the crappiest team in a the conference. They scored three touchdowns in eight minutes. Third one was a blocked punt. And it was off. And, and Arizona wasn't tackling. So. And, and maybe the uh, Cougars just needed a game. Well, and the Cougars were up 21-3, to and it looked like they were about to blow it, it did, open. It did. It did. Yeah, it did. And then Arizona got back in the game with the safety and the drive. Yeah, but what I think is really cool for the Cougars for this year, and we're taking a bigger picture approach on this question, but for this year in both games – it looked like they're in control. It got tense, and they reasserted control. Yes. So that is that is something that you can really draw from. Both times you needed scores, and you got them. That's impressive. Pressure's on, particularly last week, right? How many times have we seen it? I put out a tweet. This is either going to end the streak or it's going to be the worst loss in the streak's history. True story. That's the way, way I felt. Because they controlled, and it's also, oh, this other loss, like the one where they had the two-point conversion that they didn't get, a lot of people went to that. No, they didn't control that game. No, they were the ones sneaking back right. in at the they, end of that game. Exactly, and they had a nice drive at the end, Taysom let them right down the field to get into the end zone, it was very impressive. This game, they controlled, and when you're controlling the game, I think there's only two sports where you can control the game and still lose. It's soccer and baseball. You know, I mean, it's not baseball, football. Soccer and football. The only two games, sports, I think you can control and still lose. And they were on the verge of letting that thing get away, and they managed, they only needed a field goal, but they managed to get it. And I thought that was huge. Same thing the week before in Vegas. Started to slip away. I didn't think it was slipping away to that level because I didn't believe in Arizona the way I believed in the Utes. Plus, Arizona obviously has no history of dominating the uh, Cougars the way Utah did. So there's something to be said for Jaron Hall being clutch in the moment to get his team in position to score and get you that two-score margin thing that they desperately needed. So that's a positive sign. All signs right now for BYU football are positive. Yes, and I think the thing that you and I both draw on is that, uh, well, you might draw on private conversations, but just listening to Aaron Roderick at the podium talk about the players that they had to replace, uh-huh. you know, offensively, it's the quarterback, you know, is the biggest piece of the puzzle, but there were other sure. guys they had to replace too. Yeah. And he just, he's, you know, he was just calmly saying, I think we're in a good spot. Well, if you know A Rod, he's not. Per- the last thing he is is the blowhard you are on the radio. <laughs> That's like okay, that hurts. So, I, no, it doesn't. <laughs> you know you're a blowhard on the radio. He's much more understated. Can't you so say that enthusiastic? Quiet, that quiet confidence, Suck. enthusiastic, 
the loudness, the volume. I didn't have any of those things. Shut up! His his quiet confidence. I love the fact that you complain about the exact thing you're doing. That was well done. That was very well done. Uh, His quiet confidence, if you know him, makes you think, wow, he really thinks he's got something here. They do. Not just him, but they. Right, right. Well, he wouldn't speak out of turn either. You know, if he's saying that, he does know what Kalani thinks. And not as deeply, but at some level, he probably knows what Tuiaki thinks too. Oh, he probably sure. knows what Elisa thinks, you know? Yeah, and then oh, he yeah, doesn't want to yeah, step yeah. out of bounds and comment on them, but you're going against them in practice. When we had Kevin Clune on, it was kind of the same thing about the quarterback thing. I mean, he knew, but he's new to the staff. He's a linebacker coach. He doesn't want to comment on the quarterback thing, but like, he's watched a lot of football. He's a practice. He's got a general idea. Let the people who are in charge sort that out and just messes things up when you cross those lines. But yeah. they, they all know, and his quiet confidence made me think, well, they could be pretty good. Now I've seen him play the Utes. The one thing I haven't seen them do until last year, and they weren't road games to the same level because you're playing in empty stadiums or in front of a couple hundred gotcha. family. You're not playing in a packed place. But the Houston win was the kind of game that they botched the previous year. The Boise State win, nobody goes up there and hammers the Broncos like that. And, and maybe it is weird because they didn't have, and they were on their third string quarterback and they didn't have any fans at the game. It was a weird deal. It'd be what you won with their third string quarterback the year before. Well, you can't discount uh, what it was at 52 to what? I don't even remember. The I score. don't even remember either. It was, it was as much as Kalani wanted to win by. The thing that really struck me for BYU going into this season is I remember it specifically 11 days before the start of the season, I had to be in Utah County for something. And I ran into somebody on the staff and we talked for about 20 minutes. And this person told me, we got something here. Yeah. And if you know this person. That you, means something, a curious weight, because they don't just pop off. Absolutely not. The person is very, very understated. And he sees me and we see each other and we're at a function. And we kind of give it, you know, hey. Hey, how's it going? And then we, of course, I, on purpose, gravitate toward him. <laughs> I'm stunned A, a little this, later on. I'm not, stunned not, not right away. Right. Because I never like to just get in somebody's face, tell me what you know. Because they don't like to do that. You know yeah. what I mean? You got you to gotta be smooth. And, and, and with this, coaches and ladies, I'm really smooth. It's just, just the way it is. I mean, I, I just won't go into it anymore, but just take my word for it. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I speak for a lot of people. <laughs> and and so we have an opportunity to talk. And actually, we have an opportunity for me to listen, to mm-hmm. shut up and listen. Because this guy's telling me stuff. And he's saying, and, and I, I really believe I'm a pretty good judge of character. And I know when someone's BSing me and when someone's telling me the truth. He weren't saying, hey, we're going to be really good. We're going to kick crap out of Utah. No. He's saying, uh, we like what we have, and we, we think that it could be pretty doggone good. It, didn't, it wasn't over the top. He wasn't trying to sell me anything. Mm-hmm. And I came away from that thinking, oh, man, all right. I'm impressed. I got to see. The pro- it's about the program, hence the question, have they arrived? Because it's not about an individual season. It is in the moment. But a program is something that is winning consistently. 
A season is what it is. It's a season. Colorado had a season. Boom. Coach gets fired. Right? Whoop-de-doo. Had a season. So what? Doesn't matter now. Arizona, they won the thing a few years back. Doesn't matter now. BYU, I think, has a program going, and obviously a program consists of successful seasons. You know, that's for sure. So I think they got something going there, and I think that if they win Saturday, I don't know who on the team on the schedule they lose to. Now they're going to lose. I'm not saying they're going to go 12 and zero, but I don't look at any opponent. And go, oh, wow. No, but college kids don't usually travel that well. And when you've got to go east one week and west the next and play back-to-back road games, it seems to wear you down and mess with you. And And it's happened to good teams in the past. Yeah, I mean, they're going to lose. Right. And And injuries come, and Kalani's already pointed that out, that they've been in this place before. Yeah. And they had an NFL running back. Well, that's what it's about, building a program. Right. And he got hurt, and the running game wasn't the same after that. And they couldn't protect fourth quarter leads. That's after what that. a program is. Right. It takes care of those. It cleans those up. It covers up those blemishes. I mean, they lost last season, and they had the best team in BYU history. Probably the best team that's ever played in the state of Utah. <laughs> Puts hand to face. What? <laughs> Nothing. DJ and PK. When we come back, get you up to date. If you missed Riley Jensen, Ryan Abraham, we will cover what they had to say about BYU and about USC, and we will do that, and the Utes, and we'll do that next. Stay with us. The Big Show show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Mason Wake with us now for our weekly conversation. You guys played one heck of a ball game. The streak gets snapped, and it just had to feel pretty good. From the first play, we just had that confidence that we'd go in there and win, and they've been the bully the last nine years. Coach Clark told us to stare down the bully, and we just weren't scared at all, and we just took care of business. Did you know you were going to win, or were you surprised that you won, and that added to the euphoria afterward? We knew we were going to win. That wasn't really a surprise to us. It was the fans that were surprised. If they would have felt the atmosphere during practice throughout the week, they would have not been as surprised, but we felt like we had nothing to lose. So that's just the confidence you got to have playing a good team in Utah. And the fans really celebrated after. It was pretty fun. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. The John Watson Chevrolet High School Player of the Week Award is presented weekly to the top prep football players in northern Utah. This week's winner is Bonneville High School quarterback Coy Dixon. He threw four touchdown passes and ran for two more in the Lakers' 56-26 route of Umont. See why new and used car buyers give John Watson Chevrolet more five-star reviews than any other Chevy dealer in Utah. John Watson Chevrolet, your five-star Chevy dealer. Time to get you up to speed on all the stuff we have been talking about. We talked USC football with Ryan Abraham, publisher and owner of uscfootball.com, and... He said after the Stanford loss, it was clear it was going to happen. Just not clear it was going to happen that week. But there was no way Clay Helton was making it out of this season. Unless he went 12-0. and Well, he couldn't go 12-0. and Why not? But it had to go 11-1. Because they'd lost to Stanford. No, I'm saying, yeah, but that wasn't the Stanford loss that prompted. As you said earlier, it wasn't the Stanford loss that led that to it. That was the straw was that the culmination. ended the coach's career. So the point being, whatever loss. It was coming. Yeah, they may have been wanting to, the fans have wanted it for years. Literally at least four. But I mean, I think they're just they're chasing ghosts in a sense. 
I don't think they're going to get what Pete Carroll had. They had three big-time coaches, and the other two are too long ago. Different era, doesn't matter. McKay well, and Robinson had awesome runs. Yeah, and at that point, you know, you can have 100,000 scholarships, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Let, don't forget that Pete Carroll, the sexiness of the Pete Carroll era will never be. There's two NFL two, teams there divvying yeah. up interest in football. Yeah. Whereas it was USC and UCLA, and right. there was no other football game to go to. Well, it was USC. Right. And USC and USC. USC. Yeah. I mean, don't forget, Fullerton dropped their program. Long Beach dropped their program. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> they Cal did. State Northridge dropped their program. Yeah, they had dropped it earlier. <laughs> Cal State LA dropped their program. Yeah, but again, they didn't. <laughs> Long Beach and Fullerton were playing. Irvine never had a program. You got me there. Uh, so they were the show. They were. The Laker version Showtime, that's what SC was. They did. They got that level of sizzle. Yeah. And they created a rule that you couldn't have all these celebrities on the sidelines. Everybody and their dog was there. I mean, I can't tell you how many parties I set up with and went with Snoop Dogg. You two ruled the He's town. a Long Beach guy just across two bridges. <laughs> You're right in Pedro. Just two bridges. Right. You got the Vincent Thomas and that other one that goes into downtown Long Beach. I mean, we we were neighbors. So, I don't know that you can get that back. As I said, I just named you a bunch of schools that are tr- still trying to get the glory years back. Now, that doesn't mean they can't be much better than they've been. But I don't think they're going to get to the sexiness to that level. They were the show. So if you don't get that level of sexiness, if you win, man, you keep winning the conference. Clay Hilton won the conference once. And we talk about playoffs and national championships, and certainly SC fans want that and talk about that all the time. Winning the conference, to me, is it's almost, it's not totally, but it's somewhat arbitrary. Because it comes down to one game. Did you win one game? For, for, see, Pete Carroll never had to do that. That's my whole nope. point. He had nine games to determine whether he won the conference. And now, all of a sudden, it comes down to one game. If you play bad in one game, you didn't win the conference. Well, you just went eight and one. How do we know Pete Carroll would have won all those conference championships if it was a one-game deal? Because he lost games so rarely. (laughs) That's why. Right. But he lost games. He and did. I, he absolutely did. And 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 rarely. So how many conference championships did he win? Well, I don't know. You can look it up. But if it would have been one game, I wonder if he would have won all those. It's somewhat screwed up to be judging. It discounts what you do the whole regular season. Whereas for 100 years, that was... The reason why you won the conference was the regular season. Now it isn't that way. Do you Four. realize that? That go ahead. Four outright titles, yeah. three shared, seven straight years, five Rose Bowls, two oranges. That's awesome, no doubt about it. That's but do you realize right. Oregon? The year the huge take a ton of crap for losing to Oregon, mm-hmm. and two weeks before that, Oregon, Oregon lost to the Devils, the team that. The Utes dominated. 
Yes. So was it a singular bad night? Or was Oregon, if they would have played a nine-game schedule against each other, Oregon would have won all nine? So I'm somewhat hesitant to put everything on the conference title. But that's the goal, and you in the early days of the division were like, don't bother me with division titles. It's just six teams. you got to win the conference. So I've evolved. Okay, all right. So I wanted to know if you had evolved. <laughs> that's the essence of me. That's the so, beauty of me. I get information. I listen to people. I contemplate. I go to the mountain in prayer, and I come back with new information. Haven't you ever done that, smarty pants? <laughs> Phrases I did not expect to hear during this show. I think the smarty term, pants. I think the term is called supplication, PK. <laughs> supplication, prayer, and supplication, PK. I don't even know what supplication means. It's what you're describing. Yeah. All right, let's just move on. You have Urban Meyer news. Yeah, he's doing new a, news for doing, the 9:30 listener. Doing a press conference right now. Asked about the USC opening. Quote: "There's no chance. I'm here and committed to trying to build this organization." Unquote. I believe that. What the hell's he got to go prove there? <laughs> He's in his mid-50s now, isn't he? Yeah. Maybe late 50s. Probably, yeah. What's the point of that? What are you going to do that for? Isn't that have been there, done that? A little bit, but why did uh, Nick Saban do it? I mean, Saban had been Saban good at Michigan State and LSU. He hadn't been that good. No, he had one title, not three. I screwed. Urban Stubborn's done, done that. Uh, Urban is 57, turned 57 in July. So there's time. Oh, yeah, yeah. But right now, I believe him. Maybe I'm the fool, but I believe him. I think the truth is we'll see. If he's 1-15 and and everybody's hating life inside the building and there's no hope and it looks dim. They suck, man. This is the NFL, man. You can't turn it around immediately like that. You, at least give me like six, seven wins first. Yes, agreed. And then there's this, and now it's 17 games, so everything's weird. But if they went five and 12, I still think that would feel like a step forward. Yeah, and then maybe then following the second year. But no, this is, this is tough to go from where you were to where you want to be in a season or two. Same thing with the Jets and these teams that are really down. We had on Riley Jensen earlier this morning. College football insider has BYU arrived, and he flinched at the word arrived. You could hear it in his voice. Well, when you say you have arrived, then you're just setting yourself up for beatings and disappointment. However, he did feel like they've taken a step forward and they're on the right track and the arrow is up. But don't use the word arrived. I'm much more comfortable using the word arrived. Because? Oh, man, there's a whole bunch of reasons. I think the program has matured enough. Go on our website. Go on to KSL. I wrote it. You have mature coaches now. Everybody on that staff is mature. And BYU, I am demanding, here to henceforth, now and forever, BYU staff is not an entry-level staff. It is not, you're not bringing in first-time guys. We are done with that. You're bringing in guys who have extensive experience. I'm over that. 
And the Big 12 is going to demand it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, I don't care what level. You know, it can be SUU. I don't have any problem with that. But I'm talking about guys who've never coached at the college level. And all of a sudden, they're, they're Division One assistant coaches. No! Multiple. I don't care how great a player you are. Multiple guys. Yeah. Because Reno was on his first college job. Obviously, Detmer was. Yeah. Am I missing somebody? Was there a third guy on his first job? I'd have to go back and look at that staff. Well, it doesn't matter now. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, Mike Empey had a ton of experience. Empey had experience. Kuhn was in his Kuhn second Kuhn had a little bit of experience, yeah. yeah. And I'm not blaming those guys uh, by any stretch. It's more about BYU now. You're of the stature that you do not bring in first-time guys. You know, potentially I can live with it at the coordinator level if it's somebody like Jeff Grimes, who had been coaching for 20 years and had earned the right to be an OC, right? It's not two or three years. No, it is Jeff Grimes. And he'd been all over the country, literally. That guy screamed, my time to be a coordinator has arrived. I've earned that right. So that's one reason why I think the program has arrived. Another is they're in their sixth year, and at BYU it just takes more time. And so now you got, uh, let's see, you lose some good players, and then you got, uh, what's the guy's name, Peely at linebacker, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, now's your time, buddy. You've been in the program a little bit. Now's your time to take off. Wilgar, now's your time. You know what I mean? And they appear to be taking that step. Yeah. yeah. But there are still hills to climb. And I think the biggest one is winning on the road consistently. And the numbers don't have to match what you do at home because teams win more at home than they do on the road. But BYU on the road, until last year, and you didn't have crowds on the road last year, they hadn't been good enough. I thought what they did on the road last year was pretty impressive. They lost. Obviously, their one loss was on the road. Navy, Navy was just in a bad spot. We didn't know it that night, but it's been a bad year and two games for Navy. And but I the, Houston, the Houston and Boise State wins were, that's a big step forward for that. And if they would have had a full week to prepare for Coastal Carolina, then it could have been different. They right? beat them. <laughs> I'm assured of that. By what? My heart, and that's what I go on. Good to know. Also this morning, in addition to uh, all of that, Riley talked Utah football. Quarterback didn't look good, looked a little rattled. But Riley said, if you hit quarterbacks and you break down the pocket, that's what happens to most quarterbacks. Yeah, but the good ones make something out of that, though. Speaking of Ty Detmer, man, didn't he live on that? Running around. Dodging guys. Feel the pressure. time. Somehow feel it. Yep. Eternal clock. Come up with a huge play. Threw a legendary touchdown against Miami where it seemed like he had 10 seconds to throw the ball. As he bobbed and weaved. It's out there on YouTube. You can see it. Bobs and weaves. And weaves and bobs. Weaves and bobs. And then finally hits his two, guy. Two Miami players took each other out on that play. <laughs> Yak is playing in his brain right now. Oh, I've, I've seen it enough. You can just yeah. you kind of replay it in your head. DJ and PK, that's what we've been talking about this morning. Your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. (laughs) 
can't believe today. Okay, Peaky, I bought three tickets for my wife and daughter and I for $100 each, but I flew to California. We flew to California, so it was equivalent of $400 per ticket, but it was really for them, not for me. I spent that type of money because my wife's hot and mommy gets what she wants. <laughs> Lendright Mortgage will be live with us Friday morning to help you get the lowest rates on your new mortgage or refinance. Listen Friday morning and visit LendrightMortgage.com for more information. Okay, <laughs> that's in response to you at 745 this morning <laughs> saying, who was it? Uh, who was it that told you? A friend of mine, golfing buddy, said his wife got invited to go see this Hamilton spiel, but it was 400 bucks. And I thought, there is no, no way I am paying $400 to go see somebody sing and dance. It's just not happening, man. To be clear, I don't think there's much dancing in Hamilton. But there I'll is, never find out. There is singing. I, I spent that type of money because my wife's hot and mommy gets what she wants. <laughs> okay, first of all, you sound like you got a 12-year-old voice. Have you gone through puberty? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or did you just suck helium there? What, what do we got going more on? The, more the helium. <laughs> That's not on regular speed. That's got to be fast uh, speeded up, right? Yeah, come on. Kids back in the day, <laughs> no, that was, was this thing <laughs> called a record player. <laughs> that was And you could speed. adjust the speed. Well, you can do it here, too. 33, 45, 78. You can do it with the records, yeah, but you can do it with our, our commercials. Uh, but that, that, that voice was... <laughs> come on. <laughs> Drop them first, man. <laughs> so then we got into well, if you paid four hundred bucks for a game, if you paid four hundred bucks for a concert, no. And obviously, there are people who have. You and I aren't two of yeah, them. Yeah, but I mean, so the people who can, what difference does it make? If four hundred well, bucks doesn't matter to you, well, well that's fine. Probably I get it. What's going on here? Yeah, but that's not our listeners. <laughs> That's the it, big show listeners. That, it, those aren't our listeners. Ah, it's the same people listen to us in the big show. No, they no. They get in their car, drive to work, no. listen to us. They drive no, home, they listen no, to No, no, no. Those people got money at the big show. Come on, man. No. Our our guys, I mean, we're meat and potatoes. We're, I told you, I'm an upper bowl dude. <sighs> yes, you did. I don't know if you knew what my father did for a living. What? <laughs> Why didn't you bring it up a time or a thousand over the course of the show? Because I'm damn proud of it. And like an idiot, I was embarrassed by it when I was in high school. So I'm trying to make amends. It's my own personal torture. That makes sense. That actually makes sense. Uh, the question of the day is, BYU arrived as a football program under Kalani. And Sporty McTweedy tweeted out as, yes, it's the premier program in the state now and going forward. To which Todd replied, you might want to hang eight, in a more, eight more in a row on the Utes before you say that. Oh, the eight, eight's the, coming, man. The, <laughs> the, string, <laughs> the streak lives even though it's over. I wonder going forward, I can't say this, uh, but I wonder if it would be more like uh, Coach Mack at the end of his run where it was basically 50-50. Going back and forth? Yeah. That's what it was from 93 when Mack won and ended the 18-20, yeah. and 20, the right. reign of terror that Lavelle held over the Utes. Right. That's pretty much what it was until he went to the Pac-12. I think if you add it up, they won 11 and BYU won 7. With, of the 18 games, probably at least 12 and maybe 15 of them going right down to the end. Depending well, on how you defend Coach right Mack's down to the end. That's greatest accomplishment. Turning the rivalry He around. made it a legitimate rivalry, rivalry where others hadn't. And he and that's a, that's a heck of an accomplishment. I mean, besides the fact he's an all-around great dude, and he's basically Mr. Utah football. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact that he made that a legitimate rivalry... 
that is something that he should be honored forever and ever at that university and that football program. He made that thing something, whereas before it was nothing. BYU Bojan at Playoff Bogey. I don't think you can say it's arrived until BYU is in the Big 12 and is competitive in conference play. This is a very nice step, though. That's an excellent point because I brought up earlier this morning, you know, people were talking about Utah arriving. Well, Kyle hasn't won the conference title, and you said, yeah, but it's one game. And he did have a six-year span, and you got to stop it before last season because he didn't play enough games for this to measure up. But the six years before that, he'd averaged a little over nine wins per season. 9.1, 9.2, something like that. That's a pretty good run. And you've, there is a level you have arrived at, which is why people write such nice things about Kyle, that and the fact of how he treats him. But they recognize if you're going to win 55 games over six years, you got to go. Okay, yeah, but the problem with the is, Big 12 is he can go, Kalani can go 11 and 1, 12 and 0, 12 and 0, and he hasn't arrived? In the Big 12? No. Last oh, year, no. this year, so, next no. year. No, what I was going to say is, what I brought up this morning was, are you going to be able to say that Kalani's won 27 games over three years or 30 games over three years? But even if he does that, crushes it this year, has another really good year next year, which given the talent on the roster, the schedule we're looking at, it's all on paper, but it's not a big reach. It's doable. But if he does it, then it's going to be, okay, now can you do it in the Big 12? That's what I said earlier. He's going to have a restart on arrivement. Yes, and it doesn't matter because at that point, it's going to be, what did you do now? Yep. I believe the transition will be smoother than Utah's transition. They have an extra year to prep for it. And to a certain degree, they've already been prepping for it as independent. They weren't playing a Mountain West schedule. They were recruiting and building to play these really good September schedules they've been playing. Absolutely. And because of missions... They're basically recruiting Big 12 right now, even though they still have another ago, year and 10 games. When they're talking to kids, when they're texting with kids today, some kid texts them or whatever. Yeah, those kids likely are going on missions. So then they're coming back to the Big 12. And two, I think in the transfer portal, because you have the transfer, it's not just a grad transfer one year, you can get kids next year. You'll get freshmen and sophomores that, who will have their eye on it. Yeah, yeah. they're going to the Big 12. I will play in the Big 12. And you can water down Texas and Oklahoma. And really, it just boils down to Oklahoma. It does. Texas was middle of the pack anyway. And they still are. And what is really, when you think about it, I hate to say it, but how much has Sarkeesian won? Not much. What is he known for? The king He's of He's a coordinator six. at uh, Alabama. Well, my gosh, those coordinators at Alabama, they, they sure have had a great run of, they've been so fortunate because every coordinator at Alabama has been really good. Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> Because when you call play, it's going to work. Yeah. The run play will work. The pass play will work. Everything will work. Yeah. you got the best players. Totally. All right. Coming up next, Hands and Scotty. We'll see you tomorrow morning.